I'm an out, I'm an out and out Robin Williams fan. He is without a doubt one of the most original, original, most original creative uh, minds we have working today. He does. He can act straight. He can be crazy. Would you welcome Robin Williams? So we left off last time where Robin was there for John Belushi's final moments alive. For the beginnings of the OD. Yeah, not the actual final moments. Well, whether or not how much he really was there for it, you know, maybe we'll never know. But I'm sure he told the truth to the grand jury because, you know, they'll fucking sweat it out of you no matter yeah. what. And you don't want to lie to them. Kathy Ooh. Smith corroborated the story, too. Okay. All right. She's the one that shot him up with the deadly yeah. speedball. So she took the hit anyway. Yeah. So why not tell the truth? And Robin, a little rough around the edges. <laughs> Robin left. She stayed. Yeah, because they were just like hanging out together. They were like a drug couple or something. Yeah. I also mentioned last time that uh, the writing was on the wall for Mork and Mindy in its final season. They were done. The viewership had declined. Not even Jonathan Winters could save the show. <laughs> Robin, no. Robin Williams had been mentally prepared for the news that the show would not continue, but it hadn't happened yet. So while he was filming The Frog Prince for Fairy Tale Theater... Okay. That summer of 1982, he gets the call that Morgan Mindy is canceled. Oh. And he's dressed as a frog. That's hilarious. Oh, that's Wait. A- <laughs> Did we? Did you prep us for the, this this gig he was doing, the Frog Prince? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. Oh, that's some bad nano nanos. <laughs> it was Shelley Duvall's fairy tale show. Okay, so he agreed to do. Yeah, this he's doing weird... an episode for the Frog Prince where he plays the Frog Prince. And oh, he's okay. Dressed as a frog. Yeah. And Eric Idle, who was a good friend of Robin Williams, was directing that episode. Oh wow! And. He said that after Robin got the call about the cancellation, he was pissed off and then went in front of the cast and crew and went on an extended angry rant about ABC. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, what does this have to do with us, man? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Dude, you got your own problems. Don't, Don't throw that on me. Can we get the hell out of here tonight? Can you just do the scene? Didn't your friend just die? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. He did, yeah. <laughs> but, but let's talk about the real problem. My my sitcom is canceled. <laughs> yeah, my contract with ABC. <laughs> yeah. And in summer of '82, his wife Valerie became pregnant. First kid. Yeah. And Robin stayed sober through the entire pregnancy. Wow, nine months. He was a dry drunk, though, as they call it. Yeah. He hadn't really dealt with his issues yet. He's California he, sober. Yeah, he quit cold turkey, you know. And so they moved up to Napa Valley. They went up north because they're like, after the Belushi shit, he's like, I got to get out of LA. It's just not a good place for me, he yeah. thought. Yeah, I just got to live between vineyards. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's... Amongst uh, the Coppola wine place. Yeah. He's yeah. made that joke a lot too throughout his life. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, uh, just got out of rehab and uh, good thing I'm living near a vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they moved up north and Robin has a new lease on life. He, he took up cycling 
And eventually he would have a collection of over a hundred bikes. Hmm. He described biking as the closest thing to flying. <laughs> Later in life, he became really good friends with Lance Armstrong. Did wow. he? Wow. Yeah. He injected him? <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. Okay. The biking helped him stay sober. Well, that's good. You, yeah, because you're out there for a long time doing these long ass runs, I'm sure. Jay Leno walks in. What are you doing collecting bikes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> you should get bad cars and uh, you should marry uh, my wife, Mavis. <laughs> We're like, what? Why would I marry your wife, Mavis? <laughs> hey, don't steal any of my jokes, Robin. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, uh, Jay. <laughs> I'm not going to take it. You can steal my bikes, but don't steal my jokes. <laughs> yeah. Take my wife. Take uh, my bike. His son, Zach, was born in spring of 1983, and Christopher Reeve became his godfather. The godfather. I'll give him a present he can't refuse (laughs) for his birthday. Give him a horse's head. (laughs) (laughs) He observed that becoming a parent changed Robin for the better. He loved being a dad. In 1984, wife Valerie needed help with Zach. And based on a recommendation from comedian friend Taylor Negron, she oh had, yeah he was in, Rest no- in peace nothing but trouble angels in the outfield he a bunch great. of stuff yeah he's yeah what very was that John funny. Cusack one he was in oh fuck dead again or anyway he was in like a, another John Cusack yeah. he was hilarious yeah Taylor Negron recommends this twenty something girl named Marsha Garces better off dead better off dead thank you so much. That would ruin me if I didn't get that. Sorry, Alejandro. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I needed that. Marsha is from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Woo, woo. Oh, Cheesehead. Yeah. And she studied art at UW-Madison. Oh, yeah. Are you just bringing this to you? So <laughs> she's fucking awesome. Yeah, in your book. <laughs> Valerie hires her to become the new nanny. They have a good thing going here. Robin is sober. She's the non-new nanny? They got a, <laughs> they got a, a son- and, uh, you know, Mork and Mindy's in the past, but hey, time to move on. And they're up north in wine country, but just looking at the wine. Yeah. yeah. No tasting. Move on to Nanu things. It is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> wine country is beautiful, even if you don't drink. Of course. I've never been up there, but I've heard. Yeah. Things, yeah. I'd like to say it got better career-wise for Robin after becoming sober, but it didn't. Are we talking initially late 80s, early 90s? The mid-80s. Mid-80s, okay. It was a bit of a career lull. His album, Throbbing Python of Love, didn't even crack the top 100. Ouch. I mean, it's, yeah, a coming cock. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you got the reference yeah. <laughs> Oh he's never lost on any of that stuff. He gets it And then right away. Robin just Kept picking the wrong roles He was in The World According to Garp John Lithgow stole the show in that movie You know no one remembers That movie for Robin no, Williams no, no. No. He was in a comedy called The Survivors With Walter Matthau he was in The Best of Times, a sports comedy. With I Kurt, remember none of this. Kurt stuff. Russell. Yeah. Uh, he was in a movie, a Harold Ramis movie called Club Paradise. That was a piece of shit. Johnny Depp's first uh, role <laughs> oh, really? was in that. Yeah, he, that was his first role. Total. Incorrect. Johnny Depp's first role was in Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, Kyle's I, but jo- right about but, this. But Johnny Depp was in this. It was one of his first and roles. And Kyle would know because that's his favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention um, Moscow on the Hudson. 
And in that one, he full on plays a Russian guy. But then when I remember him wearing the hat, the Russian hat. And when Russian people saw the movie, they thought he sounded Polish. Yeah. But Americans don't even know the difference. Exactly. Yeah, Boston accents in movies are terrible. Oh, yeah. And as this is going on, he's noticing Eddie Murphy coming to prominence. He's like, what the hell am I doing wrong that he's doing so right? This 19-year-old fucking punk. Yeah, because everything is working for him. 48 hours, training places, SNL. Yeah. Robin actually hosted SNL when Eddie was on it. Really? Yeah. But then the next week at the Grammys, Eddie beat him and won for best comedy album. And Robin's lost. Ouch. So it's on. Yeah. It's funny because a comparison, I I recently heard that George Carlin, some people say his later stuff, they didn't like it. And it was just too angry and and, and, and mad and just like gravelly and like, you know, Uh you know, it'll, it's bad for you. But I found out that um, he was actually, he was his, career was reignited when he saw Sam Kinison. And the later mm. stuff he did in his career was as a reaction to what he saw Sam Kinison doing and like trying to be competitive with that style of humor and stuff. I and love like, the later stuff. I love it. And speaking of Lance Armstrong in his last special, he goes out on the stage and he's like, fuck Lance Armstrong. Fuck Tiger Woods. That's what I was- Aren't you sick of people telling you who your heroes are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I literally, when I saw that, I was like, wow, he's just like a kind of washed up angry guy. Yeah. But he was right. Of he course. picked the two guys that like fucked up the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that turned into fucking disaster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Anyway, that's what I, I was wrong. Yeah. I was yeah. one of those people, though, that was like, he's too angry. This is yeah. too much. <laughs> you know, but uh, Robin is still a strong stand-up, though, so he gets involved with comic relief. I remember this. With uh, Whoopi and Billy Crystal. Yeah. Billy Crystal had sort of a parallel career path with him, and he felt a kinship with uh, Robin. And separately, Robin first met Whoopi Goldberg at a... 1984 political fundraiser and they became fast friends. Oh, was uh, Ted Danson in blackface there? Oh, not yet. Okay. <laughs> not yet. Um, and then they didn't choose this, but executives at HBO chose them to be the host for the first comic relief and put them together. Really? That was always my biggest question about comic relief. I didn't know if they started it or no. if it was an HBO thing that they were like, you guys will be the faces of it. Yeah, it was like that, but yeah. it was also Bob Zamuda played a role oh, in really? well, organizing it. It that. also seemed like a reaction like uh, We Are the World and like all that stuff they were doing for yeah. Africa around that You're time. You're right on point with that because yeah. that's right there. Live Aid had just been put on, and then there was, you know, all those songs that we talked about, like in the George, yeah. the George Michael episode. Right. Do they know it's Christmas? Oh, yes. yeah. It makes sense that Bob Zamuda would want to um, start a, a major thing helping the homeless because Andy Kaufman died, and he was very close in his head, probably, to be like, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to be homeless. Yeah, what else so do let's I help have? me. Yeah, hey. my meal ticket has died. Hey, I'm Tony Clifton. <laughs> oh! <laughs> that's, that's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> That's what his accountant said when uh, Andy Kaufman died. <laughs> <laughs> the benefit concert came at a time when Robin was, you know, in general, becoming more politically conscious. And then he also started becoming more philanthropic. Sure. So Comic Relief aired on March 29th, 1986, and they raised a couple million bucks. Whoa. They would go on to host nine TV specials over the years. The last one in 2006 to benefit Hurricane Katrina. 
Wow. And over the years, it's raised over $50 million. And I have a clip from the Comic Relief 1994 to show the the magic of Whoopi and Billy and Robin. Yeah. And just <laughs> to warn you, in my opinion, I didn't think the three of them were that strong together. I was going to say, the way you smirked when you said magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be the opposite of that. So here we are, back with another spectacle of... Well-known people making you laugh while we're groveling, begging, and pleading. No, it's not the Illustrated Kama Sutra featuring Janet yeah. Reno. Hello! Oh! I said Kama Sutra. Timely. I'm sorry, it's Kama Sutra. It's Kama Sutra. It's Kama Sutra. Please. I'm from the Bronx. It's Kama Sutra. Oof. It's a lot oh, of fun, especially like the positions where you can see your own ass. <laughs> this is it's painful. Kind of okay, why did you choose the best this? in the country gather under I one mean, roof to raise money for people who do not have a roof right now. Whoopi just needs to get out of the so way. so eloquent. Yeah. God. <laughs> I told from the Bronx. Yeah, I could tell. Thanks, Mom. They have no rapport at all. Imagine five hours of that. <laughs> oh, my God. I, mean, that's yeah. what it was. I never watched any of those specials. I knew they were doing it, though, and it existed, but I'm like, who the fuck is watching that? Yeah. Same. Uh, I was yeah. watching Taxi Cab Confessions. Yeah. <laughs> Cracking off. People fucking. <laughs> but they raise a lot of money. And- Paying fares. Yeah. What are you doing in the back there? Why is this cash so <laughs> sticky? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in summer of 1986, Robin embarked on a 23-city stand-up tour, and Marsha, the nanny from Milwaukee, was promoted to his assistant. They became very close, Uh-oh. but kept things strictly professional for the moment. Ooh, she yeah. would tell him, quote, <laughs> you can do it. You're okay. I love you. Before he went on stage, which is what I say to all my friends, sure. she explained. <laughs> Who do stand up? And that brings us to an evening at the Met, his third HBO comedy special. This was considered a major return to form. It's like Elvis's like TV special when he's back, you know, in yeah. the, the leather jumpsuit. He's uh, he's back to his old form. And the material ranges from gun control to being a reformed alcoholic to a bit about Jack Nicholson running for president. Vote for me. Then he talks about <laughs> his son Zach being an impressionable youth. Quote, I was driving around in traffic. Someone cut me off. I went, fuck it. From behind me in this little rocket seat, a voice went, fuck it. All day long, he followed me around the house going, fuck it. It's like a and, parrot. And we have a clip from the end of this special. There are times my son looks at me and gives me that look in the eyes like, well, what's it going to be? Hey, Zaka. Hey, it's, um, I don't know. But... Maybe along the way, you take my hand, tell a few jokes, and have some fun. Come on, pal. You're not afraid, are you? Nah. Fuck it. (laughs) And he's walking off as his son holding his hand. He has his arm in the air like he's holding his own hand. One man show. So that way, people (laughs) just, it was universally praised because it was, you know, a very touching moment. Yes, exactly. So between the touring and TV and movie appearances, Valerie and Robin grew apart. Oh, no. Quote, she finds the public aspect very hard. 
Well, she was working in a big comedy club, too. And the pubic aspect. <laughs> he is hairy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Robin, though, had multiple affairs while on the road. Oh, really? He never stopped with the affairs, including one with a waitress from the comedy store named Michelle Tish Carter. The same name as the girl from Plainville. Oh, yeah. Michelle Carter. When he broke it off with her, things turned bitter. She told him she was pregnant and needed financial support, but that was false. Then she Ah. claimed he gave her herpes, which he disproved with a blood test. (laughs) What? Then she sued him for $6 million. The legal fight went on for many years, finally being settled in 1992 for an undisclosed amount. Oh, shut up. Is she still working at the comedy store? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> she owns it now. Yeah. <laughs> By the end of 1986, Valerie and Robin reached a private agreement of their own and quietly separated. That was that. That was that. The end of a love affair. That lasted, what, like? 10 years almost? Yeah. yeah. And she was with him, you know, from his beginnings to superstardom. Yeah. Apparently she was fucking a gaffer on Popeye or something, too. <laughs> the writer, yeah. Jules oh, the writer, Spiper, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. he flatly denies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she went for the gaffer first. Yeah. He wasn't going for it. Now we come to his next movie role. Irreverent radio DJ Adrian Kronauer who's assigned to the U.S. Army radio station in Vietnam in the mid-1960s. At long last, this is the perfect role. Yeah, I remember watching this uh, with, with my parents, actually, going to the theater to see Good Morning Vietnam. That's what we're talking about. Good morning, Vietnam! <laughs> and it was shot in Bangkok, you know, where David Carradine... Yeah. Hung out. Yeah. No pun intended. Literally hung. Another crime scene. <laughs> out. In, uh, in early 1987. And Marsha, the assistant. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Joined him for the production and they became even closer. Do you like all my foreshadowing here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A rough teaser was thrown together to gain more funding. And we have a clip. Clip it up. Good morning, Vietnam. That was a little song by Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. Walk like a man. Thank you, Frankie. Thank you, Adrian. Well, walk like a man, sing like a girl. An incredible thing to do. Hey, <laughs> we're coming at you right now. It's 0600. This Woo! is perfect for him. Not a bad time of day if you're a chicken. Weather today, hot. Tonight, hot. Tomorrow, hot. Hey, guess what? Big surprise tomorrow night, hot. Hut, 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 hut. Okay, incredible news coming at you later on. Switch to decaf. A little special Christmas treat for those of you out there. Ethel Merman singing Silent Night. Ethel? Silent Night. Oh, I love that. Hyperactive children. Thank you, Adrian. No, Ethel, thank you very much. Here's a little song coming at you right now. Aretha Franklin. He could do this all day. Yeah. And then it ends with saying, Robin Williams, Good Morning Vietnam, coming this Christmas. Yeah. But they didn't even know if they could make the movie yet. Wow. So that was quite a promise. Wait, so they just sent out This that... was to get more funding. So that was just a teaser to get yeah, support. Do all his movies just run out of money in the middle of it? Well, <laughs> he hasn't proven himself yet. Wow. But this changed It's crazy that this is it took that long to prove himself in movies. This changed everything for him. Yeah. He, uh, Forrest the... Whitaker was in this with him? Yes, and he's excellent in that movie. Great. Love Bruno Forrest Kirby. Kirby. Bruno Kirby's great. Yep. It was a sensation. Good Morning Vietnam opened in late 1987 and grossed $120 million on a $13 million budget. 120? Yeah. 
Wow. Big money there. Everybody came out of the woodwork to congratulate him. Steven Spielberg, who had met Robin doing some charity work in the 80s, wrote him a letter praising his performance and that he found it touching. Yeah. And um, Robin Williams won the Golden Globe for Best Actor, but he was hosting SNL in New York instead of attending the ceremony. Incidentally, that show ended with a weird sketch where Robin Williams plays an old version of himself looking back on his life. And Dana Carvey plays his younger self dressed as Mork. Carvey was Uh. already on the show then. I didn't know he was there in 87. Um, And Robin Williams received his first Best Actor Oscar nomination but ended up losing to Michael Douglas for Wall Street. Oh, that that was great, though. And um, with all the accolades shooting his way, Robin had ascended to the status of a bona fide movie star. Yeah. And for his next major role, he campaigned to play the Joker in Batman. Warner Brothers offered Robin the role. But unbeknownst to him, they also offered the role to Jack Nicholson, who was their first choice. So it turns out they were using Robin as leverage uh, to make Nicholson more interested. To, to, and bring down the offer, uh, the, uh-huh. the money a little bit, I'm sure. So then Nicholson accepted the offer, and Robin was understandably furious. Oh, my God. That's fucked how they do shit like that, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But a different movie would soon fall into his lap to help ease the pain. Let's think about that for a second, though, because that movie and that deal that Jack Nicholson made made him the richest one of the richest movie stars ever because mm-hmm. he took less money up front and he said, give me a deal with the... Um, the back end. Yeah, the no, the toys and all the licensing that comes oh, with it. Oh, okay. And they won't do that anymore because Jack Nicholson made so much money off it. North of $75 million. Oh, I'm sure it's even more than that, yeah. to be honest. But that's what they reported, so you yeah. know it's wow. more. Yeah. Well, you know, he's smart. That's how like Bob Dylan would do it. Like, If you're good and you're like the best at your game... Don't do it for cheap. No. And so that brings us to Dead Poets Society. Whoa. Disney produced the movie through their more adult-oriented studio, Touchstone Pictures. I didn't know Touchstone was Disney. Yeah. And the movie centers on a group of boys at a boarding school in the 1960s. Their unconventional English teacher, John Keating, inspires them to think outside the box. Yeah. And this was a role that was turned down by Dustin Hoffman. So that he could do Rain Man. Okay. Well, he got an Oscar for that. I he mean, did. that's that's perfect. That's a perfect fork in the road. They both mm-hmm. killed their roles. Yes, yeah. Yeah. exactly. He didn't go full retard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey. Nobody, hey, I'm quoting a movie. Nobody did. Yeah. <laughs> and we have hey, a clip. Man. He knew how many uh, toothpicks were in that box. That's not full retard. We have a clippy. He brings the students outside the classroom and takes them to the Hall of Fame in the hallway where it shows pictures of past students. Like he and Belushi's reverence for the older entertainers. Exactly. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things. Just like many of you, their eyes are full of hope. Just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen... These boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? Listen. Seize the day, boys. 
The movie opened in limited release in June 1989. Screenwriter Tom Schulman, who based it on his own experiences... At Harvard, says that he uh, he and uh, Christopher he yeah. and Christopher Reeve and Robin were having dinner that weekend in Midtown Manhattan that Friday when it opened. Then they went to a nearby theater to see how the movie was doing. Robin was afraid to go in, but Tom Schulman and Christopher Reeve went in. They went in during the ending. They stand on the desk. Yeah, Robin Williams is fired. Yeah. Because he's so outside the box. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they stand on the desk as a tribute to him. And he read them the poem, you know, Oh, Captain, my Captain. So they stand on the desk and say, Oh, Captain, my Captain. Yeah. And Robin Williams is moved. But the audience erupts in applause and gives it a standing ovation. In the Did they theater. stand on their chairs? In the <laughs> it certainly inspired them to stand up. And oh, on popcorn! My popcorn! <laughs> and uh, the screenwriter, oh, my <laughs> Schulman, recalls that quote: "Christopher Reeve turned to me and was crying. He said, i 'I'm so happy for Robin. It was so sweet.' <laughs> he turned to me. He was crying. He said, my back hurts. <laughs> oh my god! He's like, I have." Uh, <laughs> I have to get on a horse tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., so I got to go home right now, so I got to hit the old dusty trail. So, you know how I said this open and limited release? Well, it just grew from there, yeah. and it made a ton of money, over $100 million. It made Ethan Hawke a star. Yeah, and nobody believed in it. Disney wanted them to change the title. They're like, you can't call it Dead Poet Society. That's too depressing. You can't say dead. Watch us, Death and Entertainment. And then guess who Robin got a letter from? Steven Spielberg. Fred Rogers. Whoa! Mr. Rogers. Really? Who wrote, This afternoon, all by myself, I went to see Dead Poets Society. It's a fine film, and your performance in it is superb. I admire you greatly, and I thank you for enriching the lives of so many through your art. Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> This episode's having the opposite effect. I thought, I thought you guys would be like moved. <laughs> oh, I was shocked. I couldn't believe uh, Mr. Fred, um, not Durst, but Fred Rogers was okay. right again. Stick it up your ass. <laughs> All right, anyway. Another important event that summer, Robin's daughter Zelda was born on July 31st, 1989. With wife number two or girlfriend number two. His first child with Marsha. His new wife of a few months. Okay, so they are married. Former nanny. Up. He made her an assistant. Made an honest now, woman out of her. New wife. New wife. Nanny yeah. to assistant to wife. And yeah. by the way, the tabloids. <laughs> That's the trajectory. That's the corporate ladder yeah. for you. <laughs> the tabloids made a big deal out of this, and they painted it that he was cheating on his first wife with the nanny. Wow. Howard Stern even made a few jokes about this. Of course he this. did, yeah. But- Mm, Even Valerie, <laughs> look at the butt on her. Like, Valerie, <laughs> the first wife, says that's not true. That didn't happen. There was no over. They were already separated. No overlap. Yeah, but it was a big story then. If yeah. you were reading the rags, yeah, <laughs> Inquirer in the Star magazine. Yeah, mm. and so Robin's son Zach actually named his sister after the Nintendo game Zelda. 
They, they let the kid name yeah. the other kid? Uh-huh. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been Mario Kart. The next. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Tyson's punch out. <laughs> Williams. This is my sister. <laughs> I'd like you to meet my sister, Adventure Island 3. <laughs> Fester's Quest. Sonic have you met, the Hedgehog. Have you met Fester's <laughs> Quest over here? <laughs> The next spring, Robin received his second Oscar nomination for the role. Good Morning Vietnam lit the fire, but his career was now exploding. <laughs> like a throbbing love python. Yeah, that was the name of the special. And we have a clip So he's on a tear now. A Barbara Walters interview from 1989. I'm sure it's crazy. The peak of his success. <laughs> First year of college, I started performing in this improv group, and I never stopped since then. A simple cough could send Robin into a riotous room. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. We have to do the Waldheimlich maneuver on you. I don't remember anything before 1945. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? I don't know. Barbara. He's, he's like possessed. I was not a Nazi. I was picking nuts. I was a Nazi. I, I was delivering underwear to Goebbels, and he was coming out dancing like Benny Grable. What does that make me? Uh, the saddest thing apart about this is that he was probably doing this in the mirror all night before. Yeah. Because if he waiting for really the cough, doing improv, right? Yeah. He knows she's going to cough at some hey, point. Hey, could you uh, cough in the middle of this? I got <laughs> no, a, little, a, little, a couple things worked out here, if you don't mind. You know someone's going to clear their throat or cough at some point. Yeah. I. But yeah, I, you really think he had all this stuff prepared? Though? Oh, yeah. You, you think so? Not totally, but a lot of it was worked the out area at another he time. Wow. It's, it has to be. I think I'm warmed up now. I think you're <laughs> Forget it. Now we're back. <laughs> and he's not on coke. Just at this point. talk straight. Right. Yeah. He's not. For how long? Hours at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can for a long time. Don't like to. I mean, because it's more fun to play. He was sober at this time, and he never went back to coke ever again. Shut up. Really? I, yes. It's my life. Come on. It's hard to believe that. All right, that brings us to Awakenings. He portrayed Dr. Oliver Sacks. Yeah, so Awakenings, it was a success. But He's he back was, with De Niro. He was overshadowed by, you know, his pal Robert De Niro in that. His old friend from the Chateau yeah. Marmont. And then he followed that up with The Fisher King in 1991. Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Who he made a cameo in Baron Munchausen. Oh, did he? And Gilliam, over dinner one night, he saw a kind of like... Uh, a vision? sociopathy in Robin's humor. Yeah. And he's like, you would be perfect for this movie I'm doing. It's about a shock jock who mistakenly goads a madman into committing mass murder. Whoa. And then befriends a frenzied homeless man who had lost his wife in that tragedy. So Jeff Bridges is the main character. Yeah, the shock the jock. Shock jock, yeah. And Robin Williams is the homeless man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was shot in May 1990 on location in New York City. And it was a very cathartic experience for both Bridges and It's Williams. a weird movie. This movie sounds amazing. I've never heard of it's it. It's really good. It is sounds it, so good. I gotta watch it again. I, I a love lot of Terry Gilliam stuff is like hard to access, but once mm -hmm. you do kind of understand his rhythm of movies and how out there he is, they're great. It's a beautiful movie. While filming, there was this dude named Radio Man, a bearded vagrant who roamed the streets of New York with a boombox. And he happened to look a lot like Robin when he was in character. So this guy would wander around on the set and nobody noticed. Yeah. He was just like a homeless guy. He's like the guy. naked cowboy. 
Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> just someone everybody knows. Remember exactly. the name Cowboy went alt right or something? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> anyway, anywho, um, and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't want to go down a rabbit hole <laughs> on the naked cowboy. Robin was rewarded with his third Oscar nomination for Fisher King. His co-star Mercedes Rule yeah. won. For O'Doyle rules. actress. <laughs> and um, director Terry Gilliam was shocked when uh, Robin lost to Jeremy Irons because he's. Is that reversal of fortune? Yeah, he thought yeah. he was going to win that one. I know you said. Um, what SNL did you say was the worst ever? Oh, with Milton, Milton Burl. I've heard the Jeremy Irons monologue was like one of the worst ever. Is that from Bob Odenkirk? Yes. Yeah, Bob Because <laughs> he was the head writer at that time. And he said Jeremy Irons would be like, these ideas are her- horrible. Flipped out. And, and then really? Bob Odenkirk screamed at them about how bad it was. And then he went up and did it like his own thing. And it sucked too. Yeah. I'm sure he's a tough guy to write for because he's such a stoic kind of like stone guy. But he was screaming, I just want an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Robin's next movie began development in the early 1980s as a faithful Peter Pan adaptation. Oh, it was so good. Then Spielberg abandoned the project. Meanwhile, screenwriter Jim Hart was talking to his kid one day. I guess, like, that's a thing you do in Hollywood. I like, want space people. Yeah. What do you think we should do Like next? Gary Marshall yeah. did. And the kid goes, what if Peter Pan grew up? What about it? And a new story <laughs> sprouted from there. Spielberg returned to the project with the new title of Hook, and Robin signed on to star. The production ballooned from 76 days with a $48 million budget to 116 days with an $80 million budget. Spielberg later said that the child stars were hard to work with, yeah. and he was working slower than usual. That's the problem. And he blames himself. Of course. The sets took up all the sound stages at Sony Studios in Culver City. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And dude, I've been on the lot. Whoa. Sony. Whoa. Hollywood so have I. I don't mean to brag. <laughs> we got some Hollywood inside. Hey. I worked for Adam Sandler one day. You did? Uh huh. Get out of I, here. In the Happy Madison office. Oh, there. I've seen I that found there. it. Because one of Mark's friends used to work there. Oh, yeah, oh, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Shout out to Paul. And used to let us on the Yeah. Nice. Can we say that? We just wander around. <laughs> well, if it was early 1991 when they were filming, you might have seen the hook set. Shit. Wow. 2017. <laughs> but close. Dustin Hoffman, who turned down the role in Dead Poets, was. He signed on. Captain Hook. Yeah. And he and Robin would tease each other. When Hoffman stopped the scene because he said he lost his motivation, Robin said, when all else fails, try acting. A reference to the famous line that was said by Laurence Olivier to him on the set of The Marathon Man. Well, someone had to tell Dustin Hoffman that, I guess. (laughs) And that's the one you saw when you were like two years old or something? Marathon Man? Yeah. Yeah. I was like nine. But... (laughs) uh, I am going to admit something. Okay. Uh-oh. Here I did go. not know that it was Dustin Hoffman that is Hook. What? Well, he's very disguised. He doesn't look like him. Yes, he does. No, he does. I yes, mean, if no, I watch it, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I saw it a billion times when I was a kid. That's his real hair in that movie. All the other movies All the other movies were fake. Okay, so he put a <laughs> wig on for Tootsie? It's a joke there, guys. <laughs> All right, That's uh, not his hair and I heard Huckabees. Get the fuck out of here. Then when Robin stumbled over lines, Hoffman retorted, 
What can you expect from Mark? It's kind of like a burn. Wow. The stunts involving the harness were the hardest for Robin. It was painful to the crotch. He now understood why mostly women played the part of Peter Pan. (laughs) Oh, boy. And child voice actors. And mostly cartoons. (laughs) And child actors. Yeah. That turn up dead anonymously. It was very hard work. Are we talking about Pinocchio? (laughs) (laughs) Robin's third child, Cody, was born in November 1991, weeks before the movie's release. So it added a poignant undertone to the project. And I have a couple of clips here. Clip it up. The first one is when Hook is first introduced to the adult Peter Pan and can't believe his eyes. Mr. Hook, I want those kids out of that net in less than one minute, or you better get an attorney and hope to God he's better than me. Who are you? I'm Peter Panning, attorney at law. Those are my children, and I want them back. Those are your children. These are your children. Yes, they are. And you're Peter. You're Peter? Yes. You're Peter? You're Peter? Yes. Peter? Yes. Is there an echo in here? Yes. I'm Peter. the opponent? Yes. All right, I'm going to go ahead and say... I still can't tell that's Dustin Hoffman. Oh, shove it up your ass again. What are you talking about? That does not look or sound are like him. Are you fucking around, Alejandro? You uh, know it, you know it's uh, not him. Mark's is trying to jokingly <laughs> stir the pot. <laughs> but you know that doesn't look like him in the slightest. Sure, but it's just I've always known it's Dustin Hoffman. He got so. lost in that role. Yeah. Sure, and Tootsie. And I got lost in the sauce, okay. apparently. And in, uh, <laughs> in Rain Man. Yeah. And the costume people went above and beyond with him. Yeah, sure. It's a flashy role. A flamboyant role. Sure. What are you trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, hey. Whoa. Took a turn. Wait, let me set this up. Okay. So then later in the movie, in order to fly, you have to think a happy thought. Yeah. And Robin, like a kid. Robin Williams is having trouble finding it. And he suddenly gets there in this clip. Peter, your daddy. Hi, Jack. I know why I came back. I know why I grew up. I wanted to be a father. I'm a daddy. My happy thought. I got it. I got it. I found it. <laughs> He's hovering in the air. Just hold that happy thought, Peter. Is that Julia Roberts? Yes. Yeah, it is. So now he's soaring, flying over Neverland. Yeah. And now all the Lost Boys are seeing him. <laughs> There's uh, Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> so there you go. And Jason Patrick. I think yeah. it's great. The thing that like uh, catapults him literally into the air is like, I'm an absent father. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> I'm not around, am I? Art imitates life. Yeah. Um, Hook opened in first place. I like how everything poignant you guys are taking. <laughs> Hilarious. The worst way. <laughs> and it took in over $100 million, but it was still considered a disappointment in relation to its massive budget. It was supposed to make more than that. Oh, shit. And there was a bunch of hype that preceded it. Critics were extremely harsh. And word began to spread that the movie was too long, too sentimental, and only sporadically magical. However, an entire generation of nostalgic millennials obviously think otherwise. Fuck yeah. I, I remember loving it as a kid. I thought it was great. 
we kept rewinding the part where at the beginning he's like, lost, lost, lost. And they're like, lost what? He's like, I lost my marbles. For some reason, my me and my brothers thought that was the funniest thing ever. My brother pissed his pants. I think, <laughs> I think the Ploofs lost their marbles. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was a house in peril. Things were not going well. Yeah, things were bad. <laughs> yeah. The state had to step in eventually. When that's the... <laughs> <laughs> Kyle's like, no, look. I'm going to rewind it again. You got to see this. The sun's coming up. <laughs> the TV's up. not on. <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't been to school in weeks. <laughs> yeah. They no, don't even own Hook. They're dressed in rags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't even own Hook. It's Rain Man. Yeah. <laughs> it's Pinocchio. Yeah. <laughs> um, Spielberg went into hiding to avoid the press. He sent Robin a letter. He loves sending letters. Yeah, he's a big letter guy. In January 1992, apologizing for his absence from the promotional engagements. The director assured him that he regretted nothing and that they would be lifelong friends. Quote, we will live on raising our kids, being good friends, and making our movies. Spielberg said that. He doesn't care. You know, that what, one bomb is nothing to him. And then what came after Hook? A certain cartoon. I'm trying to think. I don't. Oh, wait. Uh, no, Aladdin. Disney ended up auditioning for Robin. He didn't have to audition for them. They wanted him. Oh, really? And they created some test footage using vocal tracks from his stand-up comedy albums. Oh, okay. So there's already so much stuff out there with him. They doesn't have to... You know, like reality, what a concept, the line he stole? Yeah. They, they put that together with uh, animated footage of this genie. And then they brought it to Robin while he's filming Hook. He sees the footage and storyboards and signs on immediately. Yeah. It was another box office and critical smash for Disney. It was clear that the medium of animation was perhaps the only thing that could truly keep up with Robin's quick imagination and enhance his improvised one-liners. That was a killer movie. Like I remember doing that entire the music of that entire movie in my music class in uh, like ninth grade or something. Oh, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, and there were certain things he did as a voice actor that. They bring it to life in it the movie. It jumps off the screen. And obviously, simply put, Robin was dazzling as the genie. Yeah. And I have a little clip. Hey! Ten thousand years will give you such, such a, a crick, crick in, in the, the neck. neck. Hang on a second. Whoa! Wow! Does it feel good to be out of there? I'm telling you, nice to be back, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, where are you from? What's your name? Uh... Uh, Aladdin. Aladdin. Hello, Aladdin. Nice to have you. He on asked the other show. questions. Can we call too. you Al, or maybe just Din? How about Laddie? Sounds like here, boy. Come on, Laddie. <laughs> You're a lot smaller than my last master. Either that, or I'm getting bigger. Look at me from the side. Do I look different to you? <laughs> it is quite different seeing it all animated yeah. than just him in front of Barbara Walters. Yeah, and he is the movie stealer of that film. Well, of most films. Oh, you mean like in a good way? Yes. Yeah. Scene stealer, they call it. Scene stealer. But, but he re- stole the movie. It's not you- like he's got a bag of VHS tapes and you know that there's, he's walking out of Blockbuster with. I'm just saying there's not a lot of people that remember 
Aladdin as Steve from Full House. Exactly. That's oh, what I was just going to say. Yeah, no one remembers the other characters. I mean, yeah. to be honest, Aladdin could be without Aladdin. Was Gilbert, God- <laughs> was Gilbert Gottfried in that? Oh, Yago. yeah. Yeah. Yago. I kind of remember I'm him. I'm molting. Yes. yes. That was a good But that was a good uh, Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> He's <great>. back. Yeah. <laughs> He's back, I'm, baby. I'm Peter Pan again. <laughs> Happy <laughs> thought. A real boy. So... Needless to say, rave reviews, Aladdin made over $200 million. However, the success of the movie was tainted by Robin's frustration with the Disney company. He thought that he and the studio had agreed that his voice would not be used in the marketing or for merchandising because Robin didn't want to sell stuff. Disney counted that they had vetted all the film's marketing materials with him and his wife, Marsha, and that they violated nothing in their contractual agreement. So because of this falling out, Robin refused to return for the sequel, Return of Jafar. Yeah. Dan Castellaneta from The Simpsons. Homer Simpson filled himself. Filled in unmemorably <laughs> as yeah. the genie in that director video sequel. <laughs> wow. Good on uh, Robin Williams to stick to his guns like that. And like, obviously he just... He just didn't remember them explaining. I, I, I'm sure Disney was very thorough and did explain. It sounds a little ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous to me to imagine that Disney wouldn't use the genie to they, sell stuff and promote dollar the movie. Company. Of course they do. Yeah. yeah. I remember going to Disneyland for the first time in 2016 and doing like mushrooms and watching the fireworks <laughs> at the very end and like tearing up at all these songs that I loved when I was a kid. And there was a very, very prominent part where, like, the genie was doing this big song. You ain't never had a friend like me, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is amazing. This man has passed away, but he lives on in this huge fucking conglomerate uh, of a company and has all these movies and stuff. He must love the fact that he was the genie. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, probably not. Because he (laughs) hates the fact how little he got paid. He signed up for that. He got like thirty thousand dollars. I know, but genie. Yeah, but really? Hook, yes. Hook. He got like fifteen million, so he's fine. Well, yeah. And Jeffrey Katzenberg later stepped down from Disney, and new president Joe Roth came in and issued Robin a public apology. And Robin accepted it, and then went on to star in Aladdin and the King of Thieves. Oh, so he did another one. Oh, yeah, he returned the third as the genie. And he, that was a big payday, but that didn't do so well. It was a video. It was straight, straight yeah, to video. Okay. Jafar and that one were yeah. both straight to video. But yeah. that one, it was, you know, well, you know. Throw it yeah. the There's trash. some funny stuff in it. Throw it in the trash. No, the, come on. There's some good stuff with the genie in it. So and, it was a principal thing for him. Yeah. Sure. In my house, we didn't have toilet paper. We had uh, Aladdin 3. Oh, yeah. Okay. This household is uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. another reason Robin had been upset was because he didn't want his name being prominently advertised along with Aladdin when promoting the movie because Be- he was not compensated. Enough. No, because he felt it would distract from his other big holiday release in 1992 toys. Ooh. Oh, God, an absurdist so comedy about succession <laughs> at a company called Zevo Toys. This is the worst movie ever. It was trounced by Aladdin, and it left audiences baffled. The meta teaser trailer features an out-of-character Robin Williams riffing on everything from Rain Man to Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> and it is significantly better than the actual movie. 
Of the riffers, yeah. Yeah, because wow. the, the trailer has nothing to do with the movie. Anything's better than the Audience movie. The movie saw it, they're so like, bad. oh, this is funny. And they went to see the movie, and the movie's glum. It's depressing. It's like it wants to Does be a Tim like a- Burton movie at some level. Barry Levinson, the director of Rain Man, actually. Oh, did directed it? Like a weird it. love story, too. Like, there's yeah. Like yeah. With, with Joan Robin, Cusack. No, no, that's his sister. Oh, no, Robin Wright Penn. Robin Wright Penn. Yeah, yeah I remember right. it being like this weird love story when I was watching it as a kid. I only saw it once and we got it from Blockbuster. LL Cool J is in it too. What? Yeah. Yeah. He plays like the military guy. But there's a lot of strange set pieces and costume design and nothing adds it's up to It's meant to anything. be like a, a real life like cartoon, like like Alice in Wonderland kind yeah. of thing. I, I, Willy Wonka ish. Just, <laughs> but that, but we're, everything's worse. Name something worse. <laughs> it's biggest crime. Aladdin <laughs> three. Boring is yeah. his biggest crime. It is boring. Yeah. yeah. In a 1992 interview with Playboy, Robin said that he wished to spend more time with his family and was thrilled to now have the leverage to pick projects closer to home. So for his next project, he filmed it in his home turf in the Bay Area. Oh, uh, yeah. Northern California. Mrs. Doubtfire. Dude looks like a lady. Which is about underemployed voice actor Daniel Hillard dresses as a nanny named Euphigenia Doubtfire. In order to spend more (laughs) time with his kids after a divorce. This next clip this is the quintessential Robin Williams scene in his comedy movies. Hello! Not even that. <laughs> do you have any special skills? Oh, yes. I do. I, I do voices. What do you mean, you do voices? I do voices. Yes! We've come to this planet looking for intelligent life. Oops, we made a mistake. We're happy to be in America. Don't ask for a green card. Oh, boy. <laughs> I want you in the worst way. Look at me right now, money penny. I want to undo that bow and get to know you. <laughs> I'm sitting on a gold mine. Don't make me smack you, sweetheart. I'll do it. <laughs> I do a great impression of a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Hillard, do you consider yourself humorous? I used to. <laughs> so Mrs. Doubtfire was a family affair. Marsha, his wife, helped find the book that the movie was based on, a teen adult novel named Madame Doubtfire. Huh? Wait, that's it's based on a book? Yeah. I did not know this. Madame. Well, the, what's the beef everyone has with this movie? Like Everyone's like, how would he not, how would the family not know it oh, was him? It, you're overthinking it. <laughs> overthinking it. <laughs> Marsha was involved in every aspect of the production. She became a producer, and they actually started their own production company, Blue Wolf. Oh. And it really was a family affair. Marsha's niece was a PA. Dan Spencer, the husband of Robin's assistant, Rebecca, plays a chef. Family friend, comic actor Rick Overton, plays a maitre d'. And Robin's half-brother, Todd, appears as the poolside bartender in the rum by fruiting scene. Oh, wow. He was credited as Dr. Toad. Ah! And if you want to see him, I have a clip of him. Is everything all right, ma'am? Fan bloody tastic. Can I have another? Sure. Before I stay Todd. Pierce Brosnan. Oh, who's Rugrats? Miranda Hillard's. You oh, see Todd behind them? Look at her. She's a sweet pie. Thanks, Todd. Oh, what about their real father? Yeah. What can I say, Ron? The guy's a loser. I'll Ooh. see him. 
That's directed at you, Robin. Oh, that's one of the best. Throws a lime at the oh, back sir. of Pierce Brosnan's head. I saw it. Some angry member of the kitchen staff. Did you not tip them? Oh, the terrorists around that way. It was a run by fruiting. I'll get them, sir. Don't a worry. A run by fruiting. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. Not a drive-by, but a run Good waste by. of juice. <laughs> Marshall was excited by the premise of Robin having to portray a believable female character. He would sit for three to four hours in the makeup chair. And experimenting with the voice, he went from Margaret Thatcher to a softer tone, channeling the voices of his costume designer, Merritt Allen, and the Scottish director, Bill Forsyth, whom he had just worked with on another movie called Being Human. And Marsha and Robin fought really hard to have the ending where they don't get back together. Mm. Spoiler alert. And it paid off because Mrs. Doubtfire spent 10 weeks in first or second place at the box office, taking in $200 million by February 1994. It was released in late November 1993. Robin and Marsha had hit the jackpot. They were paid very handsomely for this. Well, it's their their thing. It's their show. And Marsha seemed to understand what audiences wanted to see from her husband. And incidentally, the Hillard House is located at 2640 Steiner Street in the Pacific Heights area of San Francisco. Mm. And I've been there. Is that where Robin Williams lives? In the movie, yeah. It's oh, house. in the movie. Not yeah. I've been to the Painted Ladies, but I didn't even think about going to the Doubtfire From House. From Full House, the yeah. Painted Ladies. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is crazy to me because at this point, can he be considered a character actor? I mean, he's a superstar. No, but he's can a lead. Super, can superstars be character actors? Well, he did become one later, obviously. Not willingly, though. No, but no, but some become willingly character actors. He was robbed of an Oscar, in my opinion, for this movie. You think so? Oh, yeah. For Doubtfire? There Who was won that buzz year? that year for him to get the Oscar, but he wasn't even nominated in the end. Who won that but year? But why would that be nominated for an Oscar? I did not expect you to not agree with me on this. No, one. I'll take a hard stance against because uh, it's movie being nominated for an Oscar. Oh, you! What, what do you the think? Fuck, Rick Moranis should get y- one you for too? Little yeah, Giants. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling well, like the kids you too? guys don't think Doubtfire is a great movie. It's a great movie, but it's not an Oscar. I don't think it's a great movie. movie. Alejandro he's grabbed his chest he's grabbed his chest and falls (laughs) to the ground maybe I gotta give another watch I I watched it as a kid and that's it and I do put it in the same universe as Honey I Shrunk the Kids well anyway hold on I have a question off the top of your heads do we have kids movies that have been nominated for Oscars oh I don't know if we. It's had... not a kids movie. Of course, it's a it's kids PG. movie. It's PG. Are you P- insane? It's PG thirteen. Uh, Hello, <laughs> Sally Field. Why? Because they're throwing fruit. Showing her tits. <laughs> oh, d- in really? the unrated version. Wait, full frontal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Matthew Matthew Lawrence. Matthew Modine. Not the brother that goes whoa, whoa. The other one. <laughs> yeah, not uh, Joey Lawrence. Yeah. yeah. He, remember, he walks in on Robin Williams taking a piss. That's yeah. not kids stuff. Yeah, it's a kids movie. Uh-huh. It's a kids movie. All oh, right. I got a great example. Beauty and the Beast was nominated for Best Picture in 1992. Mm-hmm. But it didn't win. 
Okay. Yeah, it didn't go full <laughs> retard driving <laughs> <with> Daisy. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> by 1994, Robin's at, he's killing it. And by this point, he's the personification of a great talk show guest because he's constantly yeah. on talk shows promoting tons of movies. And people will tune in for the for like Letterman if he's going to be on. Yeah. I mean, he appeared on the second last episode of Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. Oh, wow. And the last episode, by the way, had no guests. So really, it's kind of like the last episode. Pretty it was him right. and Bette Midler singing One for the Road. Really? He didn't sing it with her, but she was the one. And Johnny teared up. It was, yeah, it was that episode. Yeah, Johnny. It was and that then Johnny up. Carson, in introducing Robin, said, you know, in this business, there are comedians, there are comics. And once in a while, rarely, somebody rises above and supersedes that and becomes a comic persona unto themselves. Hmm. And not Ronnie Daniel, like his old friends that he used to bring on. <laughs> I know. Don Rickles or anything. Talk show hosts could count on him for his rapid fire quips and, you know, hilarious impressions. And I have a clip of him on Letterman. Yes. Letterman had just gotten his CBS show. Wow. And he's noticing Letterman's set. I'm climbing a stairway. <laughs> There's a spiral staircase. Famous Ed Sullivan Theater. Come on down, it's Letterman. <laughs> Look at this thing. This is incredible. This, in case of an emergency, run up here. <laughs> I feel like, oh, there's people here. Surprise. <laughs> oh, look at it. A radio name. Come on. <laughs> and now the Japanese have bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> now he's about to find a hacksaw. <laughs> From the Bobbin household. Oh, <laughs> Good 90s joke. Yeah, good. Great 90s joke. Good night, sweetheart. <laughs> you sweet world. I love you. He's emotioning cutting off Bobbitt's penis John with the Bobbitt's dick. <laughs> oh, that would be a great Broadway show. Bobbitt's dick. Bobbitt's dick? Oh. <laughs> yeah, like a... We need a you know a contender to the Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel's dick. dick, yeah. Oh, he's got a beat. <laughs> His dick got cut off, thrown like, in the like bushes, a... reattached, and then he did porn. And then, and then he does like, they do the chorus line with the dick, you know, like, <laughs> with the hat and the the old ragtime thing. Yeah, the balls are kicking instead of the legs. <laughs> <laughs> with ben, John ben, the Bob, ben it's a it. dick, a dick, a dick, a dick, dick, dick. <laughs> Uh, Johnny Bobbitt's dick. <laughs> oh my God. And the John Bobbitt's dick dancers. We got Robin Williams over here. <laughs> ooh, ah, ooh. Can, man. Dick. Dick, Rick. <laughs> Miranda's. <laughs> Honey, I shrunk the. Dick. Dick. <laughs> Honey, I shrunk my penis. Can't see it. Magnifying glass. Don't know where it is. <laughs> Too small. Too much pubic hair. That movie could hey, also care. be called Hook. Hook, oh, yeah. <laughs> Give me the hook. Uh, uh. By the mid-90s, despite the success of Mrs. Doubtfire and Aladdin, Robin was worried about his career. And he, had a, he had a lot of anxiety. Really? Because, think about it, he was not the young hotshot anymore. Yeah. He's got a family, three kids, he was worried about Eddie Murphy 10 years ago. 
So this is the frame of mind. But you know how um, worry warts work. Yes. They'll find somebody new to worry about. Oh, of course. So makeup artist Sherry Minns recalls that Robin was especially freaked out about the coming of Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah. They were often compared, and many people thought Carrey swooped in and stole the role of the Riddler. In Batman Forever Are from gonna, Robin. You can wow. have it if, if I was here, well, like, dodge a fucking bullet. Again, there. that's hindsight. Yeah. You don't know that Joel Schumacher is a fucking maniac and he's going to bring the Batman franchise into the ground. To a screeching halt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, according to some sources, Robin had been offered the role of the Riddler, but turned it down because he was... He still harbored ill will towards Warner Brothers. But later on, Robin essentially confirmed that he was robbed of the role in an interview with Empire Magazine. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're always murky about this, like who they offer it to, yeah. who it really goes that to. That was a persistent rumor, though, that Robin Williams was supposed to play the Joe. Uh, Riddler. Both. Yeah. yeah both. Yeah. He's going to be the Joker, too. That's crazy time, yeah. that he's like at that age where he could have he could have been both. Yeah. It's. And he would have been excellent. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 100%. He might have been distract. I mean, Jim Carrey's also fucking distracting in his own right, but he was a great Riddler. He was. Thought- Batman Forever is it's pretty a-, good. a great movie. Yeah. I saw Batman Forever in the theater at the perfect age. Me too. It was very exciting. Is that it- with Nicole Kidman? Yes. Yeah. She was hot in that. Val she Kilmer. Was like really, uh, oh, yeah. It attractive. Was- yes. Um, I was Tommy Lee Jones's version of Two Face for, I think, eighth Halloween. What does eighth Halloween like, mean? My eighth Halloween. You mean like when you were eight years when old? That was such old. a weird way yeah, of saying that. Like normal my humans Halloween. say they were eight years old. It would yeah. have been weirder if I said Halloween eight. Upon my <laughs> upon my eighth Halloween. I believe that was Resurrection where they killed off Jamie Lee Curtis. It, yes. <laughs> uh, so Robin Williams is worried that uh, Jim Carrey is going to not only steal the Riddler. But steal his future roles. Yes. Despite that, though, even... He does Jumanji. That grossed $262 million. This was the first one with uh, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of its own thing from yeah. the the rock ones. Okay. This is the one. The budget was $65 million, by the way. So that's a very nice profit. But still, in Robin's mind, it's not Dumb and Dumber. You know, it's not the mask. Dude, 1994 was just an insane year for Jim Carrey. All Jim Carrey. Like, yeah. I, you couldn't put that year up against anyone. No. But he just made great fucking choices. He was a maniac. In the 1920s, Al Jolson <laughs> Al Jolson did. Mammy. Mammy <laughs> 2 did. and Mammy yeah. 3. <laughs> Some obscure fucking references. He yeah. did uh, the jazz singer. <laughs> the, the and then followed it up with My Weekend in Mammy. <laughs> <laughs> in 1911, uh, Joe Schmammy did uh, the, the Dancing Broomster. And actually, <laughs> he's just making stuff Oy. up now. And who's, <laughs> who's going to challenge me? <laughs> Nobody's going to oh, challenge me on that. I don't know much before. Before 1960, as far as movies go, yeah. so I'll give it to you. I mean, 94, dude. You got Ace Ventura, The Mask, and uh, Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. Forget about Incredible. it. Incredible. Yeah. So Jumanji was a huge hit, and Robin should take that as a win. Memorial Day 1995. Christopher Reeve was riding his horse named Eastern Express Oof. at a training event. They approached the fence to jump it, but then the horse stopped. 
and without warning, Reeve was thrown off and landed on his head, breaking his first and second vertebrae in his neck. Oh my God. He was left paralyzed in all four limbs and unable to breathe without the help of a respirator. Jesus. He was surrounded by family, his wife Dana, two sons, and his daughter. Doctors were preparing to perform an operation to reattach his skull to his spine, which is very risky. What the fuck? And then this is Reeves' account. Quote, at an especially bleak moment, the door flew open, and in a hurry, a squat fellow with a blue scrub hat and a yellow surgical gown and glasses, speaking in a Russian accent, came in. He announced that he was my proctologist and that he had to examine me immediately. But it was Robin Williams. He had materialized from who knows where. And for the first time since the accident, I laughed. My old friend had helped me know that somehow I was going to be okay. Man, that must have been such a dark time. He was just doing method work for Patch Adams. Oh, God! Everything (laughs) that I think is going to be moving. (laughs) It's just, you know, fall He came in flat. with a clown nose and a fucking honk honk <laughs> up his ass. Oh, yeah. It was like, <laughs> guys, he's, Jack, he's almost, you know, headless and his buddy makes him crack his mouth. I think that's nice. Thank you. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, okay. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Kyle begrudgingly says, uh, there could have been some ulterior motive. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Remember when you were the eye candy? (laughs) How do you like me now? (laughs) How do you like me now? Robin did whatever he could for the Reeve. (laughs) For Reeve, I mean. And his family, including generous donations of his time and money to support the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, which was researching to help, uh, you know, eradicate People that had spinal injuries and stuff and yeah. similar, similar circumstances. Yeah, we could need that... to eradicate them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, what are we talking <laughs> we talk about a final solution here? Yeah. <laughs> Career wise, I say he's still on a roll. You know, he's not Jim Carrey, but to be fair Who is? Okay, but to be fair, nineteen ninety six, this is the same year that Jim Carrey flopped in the cable guy. It was perceived as a flop. Perceived. It like, was only perceived because he fucking got a $20 million paycheck and people yeah, were that's pissed true. about that's it. That's true. And he was kind of annoying in it with the voice. But besides that. Oh, wow. Okay. Steven. Say <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, what? <laughs> the same hey, year. Let me buy you a honey. 1996, Robin Williams starred in The Birdcage, which on a $31 million budget grossed $124 million. Wow. Little Nathan Lane action. And um, interestingly Graham, enough, Graham. yeah, he was offered the Nathan Lane role at first, but he wanted to do something different. So he's the quote unquote straight. He's, the, he's the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you don't know, it's a comedy about a gay couple that have a son engaged to a girl that is the daughter of a conservative senator. Yes. So him and his wife are coming over to dinner, and Robin Williams and Nathan Lane have to pretend like they're not a gay couple. Yep. But as you mentioned, the one moment that Robin Williams gets to be himself is that famous scene where he's choreographing, showing how the dance He's really riffing. He's Fussy, Fussy, Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Madonna. (laughs) Bring and it back to Clifford. Think about this. What's his next movie? 1996. Uh, Goodwill Hunting? 
It involves Francis Ford Coppola. It involves a man. Jack! Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, Jack. This is bad. This is the point where his career, you can see how he's starting to choose some roles. You're like, why the hell did you do that? Well, it's probably because Francis Ford Coppola, who lives right near him, in the, the Napa. Y, Napa there, yeah. who's probably like, you know, it's like a slam dunk. You know, I'm right around the corner. It's going to be easy peasy. He wants to do more films in Northern California. Yeah. Near, near his know, house. Near his house and family. It's convenient. <laughs> Coppola just needed another vineyard. I get that. But yeah. Williams could, you know, he can be kind of Cop- choosy at this Coppola point. Coppola needs him more than he needs Coppola. They also thought this movie was like an act of service to like bring uh, progeria into consciousness, which progeria is. What the fuck? Kyle's making up words. No, progeria is the actual disease where you age very quickly. How many people do you know with that disease? Uh, Everyone. Everybody? Yeah, everyone. Everyone Everyone that's ever had it. But they really think that that was like a, it, it was going to be like a moving film. Well, of course they thought that. Yeah. And I'm giving credit where credit is due. Yeah. Dead Poet Society, my eyes watered. All yeah. right. Jack, Your dick I was watered. fucking bored. <laughs> <laughs> my dick went inside out during yeah. Jack. <laughs> Sometimes you try to be sentimental. It's a big swing and a big miss. And this is actually the period where he's going for the obvious sentimental roles. And Oh, yeah. Audiences and like critics the next one, are sure starting to be like, Robin, come on. Let's relax. Like, yeah. we've seen that before, and we're not in the mood for it right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, he follows that up with first collaboration with Billy Crystal in a movie. Really? Mike Wazowski. D- Daddy's Day Out? Father's Day. Father's Day, whatever. It's Same horrible. Shit. It's a comedy directed by Ghostbusters' Ivan Reitman. Oh, God. It's about two guys that their old ex-girlfriend, they both dated the same girl. Well, they're, they're she comes kid. in and says, yeah. this is your kid or your kid. You, I don't know, but it's one of your kids. What girl's fucking both of them? So Robin Williams and Billy Crystal both think they're their father. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Hello. So they're playing off that great chemistry they had from Comic Relief. Yeah, oh, yeah, God. you guys were horrible together. <laughs> Let's throw uh, you it's in. It's so true. There's yeah. not one laugh in this movie. So this is uh, spring 1997, and this is one of four movies that Robin Williams would star in in 1997. Oh, wow. He also appeared in Woody Allen's Deconstructing Harry. Oh, really? And that actually was a very funny role. It's a short little vignette where he plays a guy that's out of focus. Who's it? Deconstructing Harry. Who's the star of that? A bunch of people. Okay, Everybody's it's an in that ensemble movie. cast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was a funny little thing. Okay, you just roll your ear. You're out of focus. <laughs> I once worked with a girl that I cut out of my movie, and then she was murdered by her fan. <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I, I, just, I just wanted to offer that information. Then in 1997, the third movie is Flubber. A remake of The Absent-Minded Professor. Whoa. Critically, you know. Ladies. They weren't real lit yeah, up Yeah, is this a Jerry it. Lewis movie? Glavin. Yeah. Glavin. No, it wasn't. It wasn't? No. I thought Flubber was. It's, no. It's probably a knockoff of The Nutty Professor, maybe. It was uh, some other guy. Fred McMurray. Oh, yeah. Fred McMurray. There you go. It made $177 million. That's not bad. Flubber. Fourth movie in 1997. Do we know it? Fourth movie in 1997. Oh, it's not your fault. (laughs) Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Finally, dude, waiting for us to get there. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. 
Always intended to play the title protagonist of the script he co-wrote with Ben Affleck. Yeah. This is a Boston story based on, loosely based on some of their experiences. Yeah. What was it? <laughs> well, I, that's again the, rich kids that's from Cambridge. The lore they took this from their. But this is Harvey Weinstein. Childhood. Up I was going to say that's a Harvey that, yeah. spin. I think. Yeah, I know, but, anything to get these Oscars. But, am I right? It, but though? it worked. No, you're right. That's what they were saying at yeah, the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, of course. And we yeah. all know yeah. that's bullshit. Of yeah. course, yeah. It's about as true as Gary Marshall's son giving yeah. the idea for Morgan Minnie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you're gonna get, gonna get there, but I heard Robin Williams was the reason why they put him in it. Oh, I was, was about to say that was to get it made. Yeah. They knew they needed a big star to sell the movie. So they created the character of Dr. Sean McGuire for that purpose. And once Gus Van Sant signed on as director, he suggested Robin Williams because they had known each other after a failed attempt to make a movie about Harvey Milk. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which they eventually did make. And just like mm-hmm. Aladdin, Robin took a steep pay cut and threw himself into the role, working closely with a dialect coach to perfect the South Boston working class Irish accent. He made a good attempt, but, it, you know. It's Robin Williams. It's, yeah, it's Robin it's Williams. It's not even close to the worst. No, not even of close. Of course not. But he it's not over Alec the top. Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Holly Yikes. Hunter in Once Around is the worst. Yikes. You got to see that to believe really? it. Really? Is that with that Richard Dreyfuss in yeah. Once Around? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have a clip. I want to remind you guys of Goodwill Hunting. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, think, I think I've seen it. Never heard of it. The psychiatrist is finally bonding with the troubled math prodigy, Will Hunting. And they're talking about Carlton Fisk in, uh, at Fenway Park yes. in, the, uh, in 1987? No, the 70s. A yeah. fabled game. I've been 75, 76. And then it hits a foul pole. Oh, he goes in shit. And 35,000 fans, you know, they charge the field, you know? Yeah, and he's fucking bored. Oh, no, he's like, oh, get out of there. Get out of there. Bangers. I can't fucking believe you had tickets to that fucking game. Yeah. Did you rush the field? Uh, no, I didn't rush the fucking field. I wasn't there. What? No, I was in a bar having a drink with my future wife. You missed Pudge Fist's home run? Oh, yeah. To have a fucking drink with some lady you never met? Yeah, but you should have seen her. She was a stunner. I don't care if Oh, fucking... no, no, she lit up the room. I don't Ooh. care if Helen and Troy walked oh, into the Helena room. That's Troy. game six. No, oh, my God. And who are these fucking friends of yours? They let you get away with that? <gasps> they had to. Wait, what did you say to them? Just slid my ticket across the table and I said, sorry, guys, I got to see about a girl. <laughs> I got to go see about a girl? Yeah. That's what you said? I had. And they let you get away with that? Oh, yeah. They saw in my eyes that I meant it. You're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you, Will. That's why I'm not talking right now about some girl I saw at about 20 years ago and how I always regretted not going over and talking to her. I'm as sure as hell don't regret missing a damn game. Ooh. It took about three weeks to film his scenes and then Robin was out. Next stop, the Academy Awards. Goodwill Hunting turned out to be the indie hit of the season, that perfect mix of critical acclaim and box office glory. He had been nominated three times before, but this time he finally won. In his acceptance speech, he started out by saying, this might be the one time I'm speechless. And according to Robin, the Oscar prestige lasted about a week. And then people started going, hey, Mork. (laughs) (laughs) He would never again experience such heights, personally or professionally. Wow. Unfortunately, after Goodwill Hunting, he's just obsessed with chasing this idea of uh, being in dark movies 
and having serious like art house movies and shit. so he did what dreams may come and oh, this is the start God. of a string of movies that were either too dark or too maudlin the plot of this movie is a pediatrician dies in a car wreck and goes to heaven. Hilarious. His painter wife is overcome with grief and then kills herself, Whoa. but she goes to hell. Shut up. So then he has to rescue her. That's what the movie's Don't about. Don't you hate when that happens? That movie sounds awesome, to be honest. In heaven, it's actually made up of her paintings, so oh. it's very visual. But it's a downer movie, $85 million budget. So they spent oh the amount of money God. on they it. Basically, crazy amounts of money. It's an shit. art house flick. Yeah. Wife goes to hell for killing herself. <laughs> That's insane. Whoops. <laughs> then he does Patch Adams. Oh, God. This was unanimously by the critics just savaged. Yeah. But audiences, for some reason, loved it. It's him basically tap dancing for kids with It cancer. made over $200 million. Oh, Philip okay. Seymour Hoffman. In one of the best fucking promos that he can cut on someone, goes in on Patch Adams, and it's fucking great. Wait, what do you mean? Uh, saying that he's not serious. He's and- saying he's, he's like, you're a prick. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, I am studying to become a doctor. Oh, really? And like, flips out, and he's like, you are a clown. You are making a joke of what I want to do for my life. He goes, when you, the chips are down and you're sick and you're dying, would you want a clown or would you want a prick? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm a little shocked. Kyle did that and he, eerily accurate. Th- yeah, this and, is like his, uh, and he goes, his monologue. He goes, I'd want the prick. <laughs> it's like an acting class in here. You're right, though. That yeah. is a good scene. but So good. It, it's like a good scene and just this insane movie yeah and someone randomly gets murdered by like a serial yeah, killer the, the love interest what? yeah played by the chick from con air it was Did, so weird she went to hell i heard <laughs> yeah <laughs> no this movie you gotta see it to believe it's it. a fever dream he, yeah. he wasn't really that much older in real life than the people he went to school with but fucking robin williams is like 20 years older than everyone else in the movie yeah and he just looks like this old creepy guy <laughs> hanging around and then he's like let's heal them with laughter so then he stands on uh bedpans and tap dances and wears a clown nose <sighs> And Roger, prinkle, prinkle, prinkle. Roger Ebert in his review. His he, jaw fell off. No, he was like, if a man walked into my room tap dancing in bedpans, I'd call the cops. <laughs> and Cisco's like, well, this is ironic because he died he later cancer, in yeah. surgery. But he's like, when I'm in the hospital, I don't want someone to come in with a clown nose. Yeah, a body bag. <laughs> And then when they're going to kick him out of the school, and there's this whole like courtroom Because he's a scene. Res- resident? Yeah, he's like a student. He's like 50, 60 <laughs> years old. Then, uh, <laughs> suddenly out of the blue, all the cancer kids run in wearing clown noses. And they're and, standing and on the desk? It's a ripoff yeah. of the desk standing scene. Oh my it is. God. Yeah. They figure, why not do it again? It worked the first time. Yeah, worked again. What was the Bernard Bertolini movie where he's in the, a Holocaust and he's trying to like Roberto m- Benini? B- Roberto Benini's trying to make all the the kids in the Holocaust can't feel happy. Life is beautiful. Yeah, so it's kind of like inspired by that a little bit. That's weird. You mentioned that because why? Robin Williams' next movie is called Jacob the Liar. Ah, yes, this is what. I'm- and it was actually filmed in 1997. Oh wow! And while they're filming, fucking and Life is Beautiful comes out. Yeah. And listen to the plot of Jacob the Liar. 
a World War II drama about a Jewish man in a Polish ghetto who tells fake news stories to his friends in order to mask the real terror of the Nazi regime. Yeah. It's the same plot as Life is Beautiful. Pretty much. And it's also the same plot of the Jerry Lewis movie that never came out about the clown in the Holocaust. The day the clown cried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only Harry Shearer has seen it. Yeah. Howard wow. Stern talks about it nonstop. And he says it's as bad as you ever imagined. Yeah. And, and the, worse. Just, I guess Life is Beautiful kind of I remember there's some Italian haircutter from my yeah. hometown. Uh, he, I remember him saying, you must see this movie, Mark. It's so beautiful. Talking about life is beautiful. Yeah. And uh, I want to go see it. Good word for it. It's in the title. It's in the title. Not too bad. <laughs> yeah. It, it works. It's fine. He went He went a little bonkers at the Oscars, to be honest. You mean stepping on Jack Nicholson's head? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this was just looked at as a ripoff. And listen to this. It grossed $5 million on a $45 million budget. Oh, is that bad? So that's what I mean. <laughs> Patch Adams, they fell for it one more time. But yeah. Jacob the Liar, they're, they're like, uh-uh. Like, Fool me three times. Yeah, like, Fool, come on. Yeah. You know, when the coke wore off, we realized how awful Patch Adams <laughs> yeah. was. And then he follows that shit up with the same year, Bicentennial Man. Oh, yeah. And by the way, friend of the show, Angela... I was talking about AI, which Robin Williams has a cameo in, the Spielberg movie. Yep. I'm talking about this with friend of the show, Angela, for like 10 <laughs> minutes. Angela, and she's out. agreeing with everything I'm saying about AI. Yeah. Because I'm like, it's visually, it's interesting. And some of the themes are very cool thought provoking because the it's kid a Kubrick never. idea. Yeah, he never grows older as an android, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's agreeing with everything totally. Then about 10 minutes later, I realized we're both talking about two separate movies. <laughs> she's talking about Bicentennial yeah, Man. Yeah, she's talking about Bicentennial Man. And I'm talking about AI. And I immediately am like, no, 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 no. Bicentennial Man sucks. It's all- <laughs> she might be Bicentennial Man's biggest fan. <laughs> might oh, be. Only, only, she, only. She definitely is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Bicentennial Man is about a robot butler who learns to feel human emotions and he outlives generations of the family he works for. Oh. This made $87 million, which sounds good, but it had a $100 million budget. Completely bloated. Why is he making these and shit? And the movies? critics savaged it again. What so. did Gene Siskel say this time? Well, well, he took, he's the, dead he, by he took the easy way out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this was actually the third and last collaboration between Robin Williams and director Chris Columbus. Oh. Chris Columbus directed Mrs. Doubtfire. And Home Alone? Uh, and, and The Goonies. He wrote The Goonies, but didn't direct it. Okay. And fair. He found the new world. Uh, anyway. Chris Columbus? Anyone? Yeah. Hello? Uh, we're kicking Kyle <laughs> off the podcast as we speak. He's gone. And he- <laughs> <laughs> there was a planned Mrs. Doubtfire sequel that Chris Columbus confirmed that sadly never came to be from Chris Columbus. Quote, we had a great script. Robin was prepared to do it. And then, unfortunately, he passed away. Yeah. What would that sequel have been like? Uh, uh, more of uh, more offensive. <laughs> yeah. I am Janiah Doubtfire again. More of the family not <laughs> noticing that their dad is dressed up. Oh, it was another <laughs> run by Fruity. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they find out it was him in the movie? He, in he the tells original them. movie. Yes, yeah. they did. So how is there a sequel? 
How is there a sequel to anything? Listen, yeah. the, that's the right. Didn't Marlon Brando die in The Godfather? Yes, and then they they went backwards. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so that brings us into the two thousands. Hello, in the year two thousands. As if to stick it to the critics who felt that Robin was taking on too many serious roles. What does he do? Three movies in a row that required him to plunge into the darkest recesses of his mind. The triptych of evil, as it's known. One of these I like. One Hour Photo. Fantastic. Death to Smoochie. Didn't see it. (laughs) Okay. Directed by Danny DeVito. Yeah, from the dark minds that brought you Danny DeVito. (laughs) And then the third one is Insomnia. Insomnia is the one I'm talking about. Great movie. Great movie. Christopher Nolan. So he followed that unofficial trilogy with more dramas like House of D, in which his daughter Zelda plays Anton Yelchin's love interest. Oh, I know this movie because this is uh, David, uh, what the fuck is Duchovny's. it? David Duchovny's fucking brainchild, and it's like his life story. Yeah, and your boy Anton Yelchin. And Yelchin. Yeah. Yelkin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> He's still shitting on Yelchin. He, he wants to talk about David Duchovny, not the fact <laughs> yeah. that Anton Yelchin yeah. was making out with Robin Williams' daughter in it. Love Antosha himself. Yeah, come yeah. on here. Yep. I love the Antosha. Then uh, the final cut in The Night Listener. People don't want to see Robin Williams in these movies. Well, they he, want another Mrs. Doubtfire. They want another. Can I give my theory on, on, on the reason why he's doing this? He probably sees Bill, Bill Murray doing all these art house movies mm. with Wes Anderson and like all this other shit. He's like, oh, I should be doing that too. Maybe. I don't that know. That makes a lot of sense. Just an idea. Um, Robin's mom, Lori, died shortly before September 11th, 2001. Days uh, before. Never She's forget. actually on the hijacker list. She would like you to believe she died before. But oh. um, I think she... she was the twenty first hijacker. Yeah, <laughs> she was the first. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, she was in Hamburg, Germany. Osama yeah. bin Lori, <laughs> yeah. I think, um, is she how was she was taking well, flight classes in uh, Florida. A yeah, of months but ago. not learning how to land. <laughs> oh boy! Oh jeez! Yeah. Uh, a few months later, Robin appeared at the Mark Twain Prize ceremony to honor Whoopi Goldberg. And- she won. Yeah, they honored her with that, yeah. Before George Carlin. Before George Carlin. Boo. Oh, really? Uh, Sister Act. Boo. Sister Act 2. Boo. Theodore Rex. Theodore Rex. Okay, I'll give it that. (laughs) That deserves the prize right there. Yeah, I mean, that should be Oscar nominated, to be honest. (laughs) Robin said that that ceremony helped shake off a post-9-11 delirium, and he excitedly returned to the stand-up stage. He made a new album and returned to HBO with Robin Williams live on Broadway. And his material was topical and R-rated as ever. Go to clip one. Hold, I'm sorry. I don't want to make this longer than it has to be. It's already past that. But he was saying that honoring Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> helped shake off 9-11. I wish you could see my face right now. Kyle <laughs> <laughs> cannot get over this. Honoring... Karen Johnson 
Do you realize that shook his mom died? Mike and Nichols he's like, oh, thank directed God. her first one-woman show on Broadway, and she starred in The Color Purple for Steven Spielberg, and then she did Ghost, Sister Act. You ever heard of it? My <laughs> face is turning the color purple because I can't believe that he would be like, okay, my mom died September 11th, 2001, but the only thing that could dig me out of this hole is honoring... Karen Johnson. Well, let's see what he did with it. All right, let's see it. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle's sticking to his guns here. Yeah. I, unhinged. Yeah. yeah let's totally see. unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> Live on Broadway? Yeah, clip one. And if you want a linguistic adventure, go drinking with a Scotsman. Because you can't fucking understand them before. He's trying to do Mike you Myers You land now. in Scotland and they're going, Dude, okay, man, if you like Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Fuck, take it out of the box. Burn the bullets. That's it, right? Put it in your neck, right? Sure. Oh, fuck, sure, right? Burn your neck, right? Backside there, tweak your ass on the pool, right? Okay, right? Sure. Oh, sure, you dumb fucking bastard. You dumb fucking bastard. You realize that, right? I love that. I actually really love this special. Yeah, I know. And then Robin was perplexed whenever people found jokes offensive that he thought to be innocuous. For instance, one time he called Australians English rednecks. Yeah. And then the prime minister had a public Formal beef statement. with them. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think Robin would have liked today's PC culture. Because listen to this next clip from the same special. <laughs> oh, God, what are we in store for here? Because we've got the chamber, the chair, fear factor. People in Texas are going, we got those shows. <laughs> we just don't film them. <laughs> Two weeks ago, the Supreme Court banned execution of retarded people. And people in Texas are going, oh, shit, boy. where's the fun now? Because <laughs> they were zapping retarded people every other week. It was like, go sit on Santa's lap, Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> he said it oh, twice. <laughs> He went full, uh, yeah. <laughs> full retarded and I people. I know the definition of retarded in Texas is pretty wide. <laughs> Three. But, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're out there, baby. You know, even the Taliban is going, you are crazy motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a lot of offensive things at once. It was. <laughs> but it was fucking funny. Yeah. His specials were wild. You never yeah, know where he's going to go with it. Robin's self-doubt and worries about the path that his career was taking got more intense as the decade rolled on. It culminated with a relapse after 20 years of sobriety. Shit. He began drinking again while filming The Big White on location in Alaska in 2003. This film sucks. And it was released in 2005. Chug, 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 chug. <laughs> and this is a dark comedy about a desperate man who finds a frozen corpse and then says it's his dead brother so that he can cash in on the life insurance. Nobody saw this movie. These are some great log lines, though. But they are, but I'm just pointing out that nobody saw it. Yeah. Robin began chugging tiny bottles of Jack Daniels. Ooh. Then he started hiding full-size bottles. And by the time he received the Cecil B. DeMille Award at the Golden Globes in 2005... He was a Jack Daniels bottle. His dream... <laughs> that would be the logical next step, right? But ooh, uh, ooh, Jack, hack, ooh, Twist my cap! Smack, crack! His drinking was crack, out crack, of control. Another personal setback was... 
Christopher Reeve died in October 2004 after attending his son's hockey game. He had reacted badly to a medication that was given to him to fight an infection due to sepsis. What? Very sad. And then 10 months later, Dana Reeve, his wife, died of lung cancer. What? Yeah. And then his half-brother, Todd, who appeared in Mrs. Doubtfire as the bartender, he died suddenly of a heart attack a year after Dana Reeve. Oh, my God. Yeah, so Robin was going through a lot. Thanksgiving 2005, Robin got so drunk that his kids had to put him to bed. And then in 2006, the paparazzi photographed him completely wasted at an AIDS charity dinner at Cannes Film Festival. Whoa. He was wearing designer sunglasses and acted obviously intoxicated. He ended up paying $80,000 for a performance by Wyclef Jean and $40,000 for an Armani diamond necklace, which he joked was the most expensive Coke vial he'd ever purchased. And click on that link for the photo. Must have been This is a photo from that event. Yeah, so we got Robin Williams clearly having a good time. Who's that? Lindsay Lohan in the middle? Sharon Stone, I think. Oh, okay. Promoting Basic Instinct (laughs) 2. He's still kind of feeling bad about Christopher Reeve and like he's using a lot of things as an excuse. And his his career. He's not where he wants to be. It's crazy. He needs to constantly be at the top. Yeah. And being hilarious on stage isn't enough. Because you saw in that clip, PC or not, he's in top form there. Yeah. And that's not enough for him. It would be enough for anyone else in the world. Though. The amount that he needs in order to like to satisfy himself is so much. And he followed, you know, all those dramas with a bunch of bad comedies. He reunited with Barry Levinson, who directed him in Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah. For Man of the Year in 2006, which is uneven and forgettable. I don't even remember. The poster is him dressed up as George Washington. Washington with the fucking wavy And you're expecting a funny movie when you see it. It's like a political psycho thriller. I honestly thought it was pretty badass when I saw it. Yeah, but it's not a comedy. No, no. You're right that it was kind of marketed as a comedy for sure. Kind of? Yeah, it definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. They marketed it like, this wacky guy becomes president. Hey, everybody could do it. Yeah. Then he did License to Wed, which is horrible. And then Old Dogs with John Travolta. That is one of the worst movies <laughs> that's ever existed. No, the, that's... And the creepiest special effects. Yeah. The scene where they have the smiles. Yeah. It, Wait, it, Old Dogs or Old Hogs? You're thinking of Wild Hogs. Wild Hogs. Yeah. Old yeah. Dogs is with Robin Williams and John Travolta. Doing it, what? Oh, nothing. It's really It's bad. like Daddy's Day Out. I, I don't <laughs> even know what to make. It's in New York. But there's a scene where they have CGI smiles yeah. put on them after they take a drug or something. Yeah. Robin Williams looks like, I mean, uh, John Travolta looks like he's sedated throughout the It's a creepy thing. movie. He's like, he's like fresh off some bad plastic surgery or something <laughs> it just doesn't work there's a weird score they do in that the music score it's just like it's constantly like boop, 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 boop. you know it's just like it's, it's weird music in the background it's just it's annoying it makes me gag how bad it is <laughs> and then like, the i mo- feel sick to my stomach the most significant comedy he did at this period in 2006 was rv with jojo from boston massachusetts oh wait actual like get out yeah. Right now. The JoJo girl. Yeah. JoJo. She's so hot now. Oh my God. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Robin Williams was depressed during the production of RV. 
he would try to improv, but it just didn't mix with the child actors because they were waiting for their cue. Yeah. <laughs> and so imagine Robin Williams just screaming at you. <laughs> and you're like a kid actor just trying to like And he's know, doing get all these by. old references and you're just a kid. Like, who the fuck is this sweating lunatic? Yeah. <laughs> the movie was a he's, modest. He's just chugging whiskey. <laughs> all right, let's try it again. <laughs> <laughs> the movie was a modest hit. Made $87 million versus a $50 million budget. But director Barry Sonnenfeld was not happy with the experience. Whoa. You think? And I, here's a clip from a podcast of him talking about it. There seems something so sad about the kind of constant sort of riffing. It's there's something, was there something kind of desperate about it? Well, you know, I, I've worked with two people like that. One was Robin and the other is uh, Tim Allen. And being with either one of them alone was a, a treat. But then the waiter comes and it's showtime because now there's three people instead of two. And I'll tell you, uh, I came back to Vancouver a decade later to do a series of unfortunate events. And I went to this restaurant called Chin Chin. And the manager came up to me and said, you know, today was my day off, but I saw that your name was on our reservation list. And I had to come in and talk to you because I want you to know that a decade ago, I was your waiter the night you and Robin came in to have dinner here. And not only me, but anyone who was at the restaurant that night had years of PSTD before we ever recovered. He said PSTD. He means PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> Just because he's over entertaining? What is he doing? Yeah. No, he's standing up. He's leaving my table. He's sitting at other. He's doing an hour of Don Rickles. He's a. So you over there with the red hair, what color? You know, literally an hour of stuff. Hey, Robin, we got an early call tomorrow. Come back and let's order our food. Oh, my <laughs> God. That, that's giving me PSTD right now. Just listening to that and imagining what it would be like to be the person with that. And like, they think they're creating like a moment for other people. Uh, yeah. And they're going to be like, oh, I'll never forget this. But they're remembering it for the worst reasons ever. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. But like, I feel bad because it's someone that uh, is no longer with us. I know. I mean, the major D. <laughs> he killed himself he killed after him. that. <laughs> after Robin came back in. <laughs> so, <laughs> friend Peter Asher of the famed group Peter and Gordon says that he and Robin talked about a lot of stuff, but never themselves. He says Robin was incredibly insecure. They'd be out to dinner and Robin would make fun of someone. Then his wife, Marsha, would call up the next day and say, Robin thinks he may have upset somebody. Is it okay? Oh, and wow. then Peter would be like, no, 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 it's fine. We all had a good time. That sounds like a drunk's remorse, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've been there, though, where you like you feel like you're killing and you're like making fun of people. And then the next day, you're like, oh, God, or what did I do? A few years <laughs> later, you find a like... Todd never liked you because you made fun of him that one night. Yeah, And exactly. you're like, really? All these years? They hated me forever? <laughs> yeah. You never even noticed it, yeah. or you should have, or whatever. Yeah. You're never going to 100%, you know, make everyone happy. No. No. At rock bottom, Robin contemplated suicide while he was naked in a hotel holding a bottle of Jack Daniels. He loved the Jack... I don't like Jack Daniels. He talked about Jack this Daniels. on WTF. Then he realized... 
what does he have to complain about? The long walk to the jet? That his yeah. second home is killing him? For real. And he snapped out of it and decided it's time to change again. So he went to a treatment center in Oregon in 2006 to combat his alcoholism. He never did coke again, by the way. And he got sober and changed his ways. He apologized to Barry Sonnenfeld, who directed him in RV, after he got the rehab. Oh, after he destroyed the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. And gave him PSTD. $60 million. Yeah, yeah, PSTD. So here's a clip of him on The View where he talks about, you know. His troubles. Yeah. When did you know that that you needed to go back in? That's when English became a second language. And you also realize that when you're thinking that people don't notice you're drinking and you are, you know, mm-hmm. there used to be this thing of, you know, I'm not drinking. Yeah. yeah. And you think you sound like this. You think I'm, you, I'm, I'm really not drinking. You think it sounds like this. In reality. Yeah. I'm not drinking. Yeah. You get, and you also equate loudness with intelligence, which is. Why yeah. don't you tell your kids? I think they knew. So that's why yeah. when yeah. I came back, they're going to say, it's good to have you back. I right. Yeah. It's the idea of, you know, you deal with it. And the good news is you realize when you come out of rehab, you're not alone. Yeah. That the first time, the first 20 years, I did it alone. I did it before Zachary was born. Who's so now? Who's now 23 and graduated from NYU with a degree in linguistics. Not that I'm proud. So the press tour for License to Wed, that was in the summer of 2007 when he was celebrating a year of sobriety. Quote, cash in your chip and get a free drink. (laughs) In one interview, he was asked what it took to sustain an 18-year marriage. He said, a wonderful wife. She's a gift. Then when asked who did not find him funny, he said, my wife. Ah. Robin and Marsha could not save their marriage. His relapse had taken its toll, and they divorced in 2010. He moved from Napa Valley back to Tiburon. Way back to... They always come home. Where he started. They always come home. Who says he can't go home? And he lived there with his new girlfriend, Susan Schneider, a graphic designer. Imagine that's like the tourism department's uh, slogan for your town. You can always come back. <laughs> if things don't work out. Yeah. <laughs> well, you gave it a shot, Robin. Yeah. <laughs> so Robin still found success in kids' movies. He voiced, Like Mrs. Doubtfire. He voiced Ramon the Penguin in the Happy Feet movies. Yeah. Which Brittany Murphy was in the first one oh, and yeah. fired from the second one. Oh, yeah. And Simon Monjack had some kind of oh, conspiracy yeah. about she, that. She was, uh, she was fired for some reason. <laughs> Her feet were too happy. <laughs> she was too beautiful. <laughs> she had a great body. And he did three Night at the Museum movies playing Teddy Roosevelt. The first installment alone grossed $574 million. That was directed by Ben Stiller, right? No. Sean Levy. Oh, but Ben Stiller was in the later one. That's he I'm was thinking. in all of them. He was in all of them. Oh, that's right. He was in direct. Guy. Oh, he didn't direct. My brother actually saw two shows at the Lakeshore Theater in spring 2008 when he worked there. And people yelled for him to do Mrs. Doubtfire, and he refused. Not today, dear. Yeah. And my brother says he was really energetic and funny, and he came back the next day to take a staff photo. But he didn't say a word the entire time. And he seemed checked out. Then a girl jumped in front of my brother and asked for a picture. And then Robin let the picture be taken. 
but he still didn't say anything. It was wow, like robotic. That, that's weird. Then he left. Wow. He's like bicentennial man. Again. Yeah. <laughs> so it was there and then a large tour afterwards where he developed the material for his eventual nationwide tour and HBO special Weapons of Self-Destruction, where he opened up about his alcoholism recovery. Robin says, most audiences were supportive and terrific. Occasionally, some were hostile. And then there were people who transcended being merely a fan. After performing in Atlanta, somebody came up to him with a handwritten note. Quote, thank you for saving me. You are a great person, and you give so much of yourself to others. My son died of cancer, and without you, I would not have made it through. I love you. I know you hear this all the time, but you were there for me. Wow. On tour, Robin had a nasty cough that he couldn't seem to get rid of, and it only got worse. He was also experiencing dizzy spells. While on the road, Robin saw some doctors in Miami who did an angiogram. They told him he had an irregular heartbeat and a damaged mitral valve and a broken aortic valve. It was so serious that they said they needed to operate right away. So Robin flew to the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio and underwent surgery to receive a replacement bovine valve. That's insane. Uh Uh-huh. Bovine cow. Yeah. And if he chose a mechanical valve, he would have had to be on um, blood thinners the rest of his life. Jeez. So he chose the bovine valve, which might need to be replaced at some point, but he didn't need to take blood thinners. Or it also might not work. I know somebody who uh, died because they put a pig valve in his heart, and it was an experiment, but they didn't tell the family it was an experiment. And when he died... They got like $20 million. This is Weymouth, Massachusetts, baby. They, wow. they have a hospital there? <laughs> no, like South Shore Hospital. Oh, really? Yeah, on Route 18, baby. Mm-hmm. See, I, I'd go to Mass General for something, yeah. a procedure like that. Yeah. Well, sorry to them, but that's... Jesus. Yeah. Yes, sorry to them. At the clinic, the <laughs> Robin's kids were introduced to his new girlfriend, Susan Schneider, a graphic designer. What a time to introduce a new girlfriend. I'm Schneider the designer. I'm your new mommy. I'm your new mommy. <laughs> Stick- you want a picture? Too give bad. Me, Fuck you. Give me 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like a weird time to bring in the new uh, girlfriend. Yeah. The two had met at an Apple store in Marin. She spotted him in a camouflage outfit. How did she do that? And she's like, are you Robin Williams? He was Williams? invisible. <laughs> she, He's a floating Wait, are you head. Robin Williams' head? She was like, I like your uh, disguise. He's like, well, it's not really working. Yeah. I don't know. They clicked. Yeah. And um, he found out that she was also a recovering alcoholic. Some friends and family believe that they actually met at an AA meeting. So again, this is kind of like lore, they think. But it's anonymous, so you can't really... That they met at an Apple store. Yeah, yeah. he's just steamrolling other people's stories. So <laughs> He's stealing people's stories from AA, is that what you would say? Susan <laughs> Talking <did>. over them. <laughs> Susan didn't get along with the kids. They felt she was monopolizing their dad's time. And at the hospital, while he was recovering from surgery, she just took control. Like she's like the new power of attorney. She's like the boss. Exactly. Yeah. 
they felt she was taking advantage of him. And well, like, sort of. That's always the case, though. That yeah. that last kind of girlfriend mm-hmm. kind of situation. It's always weird because they're like, "Who are you? You're just some person that my dad decided to move on to." Meanwhile, she was actually very independent at home. So while Marsha would make dinner, run the household, even like produce movies with him, she was hands off and just let him do his thing. But she probably just kind of like didn't really help him out that much, you know, because he was getting sick. Like he wasn't well. No. And it gets worse from here. Okay. And there's varying accounts of how helpful she was to him at this time. You know, a lot of people say it was nice he had her at this time. Okay. Yeah. So the surgery was a success, and when Robin got home, he had a new lease on life and craved human interaction like never before. Quote, that's the weird thing after the heart surgery, is you appreciate every fucking connection with a person. It's so fucking amazing. Um, I don't know if you use him talking about it quickly. Which one? Barbara Walters again. I know you guys haven't had enough of Barbara Walters. <laughs> oh, yeah, right now. Do you move now with the car valve? No, but I give a great quart of cream. <laughs> the but surgery no, also I, gave him new perspective said, on life and death. We got the gift of life, the idea that we are mortal and the idea that, you know, that was, that's a big wake up in many levels of going, you know, this is, you appreciate little things like breathing, you know? Like breathing, yes. Yeah, breathing yeah. and walking and friends and family and all those things that mean, because you realize, damn, man, this is, this is precious. So um, he married Susan Schneider in October 2011, and he's in Tiburon again. Everyone knew him in that town, and they would, you know, let him ride his bike in peace. He bought a nice house on Paradise Cay, a small waterfront community. His sanctuary was hidden from public view and wasn't even on Google Maps. Wow. And yeah, he became a member of the community again. He would regularly attend AA meetings there and perform stand-up at the Throckmorton Theater, a 300-seat venue in nearby Mill Valley. Oh, okay, I know that. And he could remain somewhat (laughs) anonymous there. He did a Broadway play in 2011 called Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo. And here's the description from the program. The lives of two American Marines and an Iraqi translator are forever changed by an encounter with a quick-witted tiger who haunts the streets of war-torn Baghdad, attempting to find meaning, forgiveness, and redemption among the city's ruins. Oh, I'll never financially recover from this. (laughs) People weren't that... Baghdad, Azrag. Hi, hi, Smag. They're kind of sick of the Iraq war by that point. It didn't really excite so anybody. It, it, t- it took them so long to do it that, you know, it yeah. was kind of stale by the time. And then when the Tony nominations came around, there was nothing for Robin. And all the producers, they were hoping he'd get an EGOT. They wanted oh, him to win yeah. a Tony for That was it. the last one he needed. But he didn't even get nominated. But he, so, no, yeah, he got an Emmy for a special. And a Grammy. And a Grammy. And an Oscar. And that brings us to but no the- little Tony. <laughs> that, <laughs> that bread. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to the crazy ones in 2013. After well-received appearances in the movie The Butler and on the TV show Louis, David. Oh, that was his a appearance great- on Louis was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Robin Williams and um, Doug Stanhope are probably the two standout guest appearances from that. Other than Dane Cook, because it like. Called yeah. out of controversy, yeah. but they were like fantastic. And Jim Florentine. 
Uh, I don't know if I saw the Jim Florence. He like one. dies violently at the oh, end of it. Fuck. I need to see that one. <laughs> so David E. Kelly of Ally McBeal fame. Married to Michelle Pfeiffer. Married yes. to Michelle Pfeiffer. Pitched Robin on a TV show about a father-daughter ad firm. He thought it would play well with the older demographic of CBS. So Robin Williams signed on for $165,000 per episode. Wow. And you know who played his daughter? Who? His own daughter. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Gellar. <laughs> she likes to be called. It's funny you mentioned Pam Dauber, though, because they brought her in in a, an attempt to save the show to have a reunion Shut of Mark up. and Mindy. Yeah. So Robin, but Galar wasn't really selling the show. They thought people wanted to see Galar again on TV, and it turns out they, and they didn't. got the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So get out of here, Buffy. The people have spoken. So during filming, Robin lived alone in a Los Angeles apartment, and he didn't do much socializing. For a while now, Robin had noticed that his hands were a little shakier than usual. We're around 2013 years. Yeah. Okay. But it was only getting worse. And people around him thought that he looked thinner, grayer, and the glow in his eyes was not as bright. Ooh. I have a clip of David E. Kelly talking here. Uh, the last time I was with him, I, w- I was on set. We were doing uh, shooting a uh, scene in a church. It was called Glory of Love. Well, I saw the box move. <laughs> and we had a room for him where he could uh, go between takes. And I went into that room. We talked a little bit about the scene. And um, he asked a few times, um, how's it going, is it working? Um, But the subtext of it was, how am I doing, am I working? His sense of security and confidence and, and who he was and what he was, there was something eroding within him. We didn't know what. Because we knew he was getting tested. He was feeling um, infirm or not himself, and he was getting tested. And I think that those tests included uh, brain scans, and nothing was showing up. So he continued to work. He wanted to maintain his lifestyle and give Susan a nice life. After a couple of divorces, and he has a couple of houses. The money goes quick. Yeah, and the movies aren't as big as they used to be. Yeah. So despite an on-screen reunion with Pam Dauber, The Crazy Ones was canceled in May 2014. I don't remember this airing. Shortly after the first season finale aired. At the same time that the news of the cancellation broke, Robin was finishing up work on Night at the Museum 3 in Vancouver. Friends and family had wanted him to skip that trip so that he could focus on his health. His longtime makeup artist, Sherry Minns, says, quote, He wasn't in good shape at all. He was sobbing in my arms at the end of every day. It was horrible. And here's a clip from the director of Night at the Museum 3, Sean Levy. The third movie, the last movie, I would say a month into the shoot, it was clear to me, it was clear to all of us on that set that something was going on with Robin. That's an experience that I've not spoken about um, till right now, publicly ever. But here I go. Here we go. We saw that Robin was struggling in a way that he hadn't before to remember lines and to combine the right words with the performance. 
Okay, you know, so when get Robin him off would the call set me then. at 10 at night, at 2 in the morning, at 4 in the morning. Take him home. Saying, is it usable? Is any of this usable? Do I suck? What's going on? I would reassure him. And it, so I said, you are still you. Fuck. I know it. The world knows it. You just need to remember that. My faith in him never left. But I saw his morale crumbling. I saw a guy who wasn't himself and he thought that was unforgivable it's so brutal because he senses in himself that things are declining the lights fading yeah he feels it and he doesn't know what it is that's the most infuriating thing like what is going on with me yeah it's rare that you're still conscious about the fact that you know you're not living up to what you were capable of. In you're the like past. A, a viewer of your own demise. Yeah. 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 He was aware that he was on the way out. But it's just so weird because he's not, He, you know, he's like in his 50s. No, 60s. 60s. Okay. But still, like, look it's at. It's not that old. Look, it's not like you see Robert Redford's like still doing movies. Look at Pacino. Now. Yeah. On May 28th, 2014, Robin was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease a degenerative disorder that attacks the central nervous system and impairs motor functions and cognition. During a meeting with the neurologist, Robin asked if he had Alzheimer's, dementia, or schizophrenia. The answer was no to all of them. Robin shared the news with those closest to him. His wife, Susan, tried to see the positive side, that at least they finally had an answer to what was going on. She believed that he could easily have 10 more good years. Robin was plagued with terrible depression and regret as his condition worsened. He would constantly be apologizing to the kids for, among other things, inflicting divorce onto them. They would try and reassure him that there was nothing to be sorry about, but he couldn't hear it. Dana Carvey, he lives up north. Yeah, yeah, and from he, around there. He would occasionally appear at the Throckmorton Theater. One night, Robin came up to him wanting to make amends for stealing material from him, namely a bit where he calls his dick Mr. Happy. <laughs> Carvey told him that he didn't think it was his idea, and uh, the conversation ended awkwardly. Dana Carvey realized later that he probably just should have said, oh, thank you instead of trying to challenge him on it, because Robin didn't believe him when he said that, don't yeah. worry about it, you didn't steal it from me. Fuck. Yeah. In June 2014, Robin checked into the Dan Anderson Renewal Center in Minnesota, which usually treats you know addiction, but alcoholism was not his problem anymore. Mm. And then when he returned home, he looked gaunt and exhausted. On July 21st, 2014, he turned 63, but nobody could reach him to wish him a happy birthday. They were having trouble getting in contact with him. Then on July 24th, Susan found Robin staring at himself in the bathroom mirror. There was a gash in his head that he had gotten from bumping into the door. He told her he was ashamed by the accident. My God. Friends saw him at the Throckmorton Theater later that week and said he was not all there mentally and that he had a thousand yard stare. Why does he keep going to Throckmorton Theater to stay home, dude? <laughs> when Susan was in Lake Tahoe without him, Robin showed up unannounced at his son Zach's house in San Francisco. He was clearly in a lot of pain. 
Zach and his wife tried to get him to stay for the night, but he left anyway. Another night, a neighbor named John Hepper saw Robin hanging out outside around 9.30 p.m. by himself. I really needed a hug, he told him, and then he started to cry. On August 4th, 2014, Robin went for a bike ride with friends. They recalled that he looked very thin and was totally out of it. He kept passing through the lanes, and he would turn around and ask, What time you got, boss? About every 30 seconds. Most nights, Robin had trouble sleeping and would thrash around in bed. He would experience delusional looping and heavy paranoia, often calling and texting people at very odd hours and being concerned when he didn't hear back from them right away. He would text someone at 3 a.m. Like, where are you? What's up? Yeah. They'd be sleeping. And be freaked out. Yeah, and he'd be freaked out. Oh, we have to go save them. And... When Susan and Robin decided to start sleeping in separate bedrooms, he looked at her sadly and asked, does this mean we're separated? It's like a kid now. Yeah. And then on August 10th, 2014, Robin is worried that their collection of luxury wristwatches is in danger of being stolen. So he stuffs them in a sock and then drives over to his close friends, Rebecca and Dan Spencer's house, about two miles away for safekeeping. Rebecca is his longtime assistant, and Dan is the one that had the cameo in Mrs. Doubtfire as a chef. Yes. So Robin returns home and warmly offers Susan a foot massage. But this particular night, she says she's all right. Thanks anyway. They say goodnight, my love, to each other. And he leaves for his room. Sometime later, Robin is rummaging through the closet and leaves with an iPad to do some reading. Susan thinks this is a good thing because he hasn't done that in months. She figures the medication is working. Around 10.30 p.m., he heads to his bedroom again, which is on the other side of the house. The next morning, Robin is still sleeping when Susan gets up and going. She figures he's getting some much-needed rest. Rebecca and Dan Spencer then come over to the house, and Susan leaves to run some errands. Around 11 a.m., Rebecca and Dan become concerned that Robin hasn't woken up yet. Rebecca slips a note under the door, but there's still no response. About 45 minutes later, Rebecca texts Susan to say that she's going to try and wake him up. Dan goes to look for a step stool to try to look through his window. Rebecca ends up opening the door with a paperclip. She's horrified to discover Robin's lifeless body. He had hanged himself with a belt, and he's dead. Oh, my God. And we have a clip of Susan Schneider talking about that morning. We'd been meditating every morning together. So when I got up and he wasn't up yet, I thought, oh, my God, the door's still closed. He's sleeping. He's sleeping. This is really good. His assistant showed up because I had some work stuff to go over and, you know, I, I had to take off and I just told her, I said, just, you know, text me when he's awake. And then I got a text saying, he's not up, what should I do? I knew, I just knew there was something terribly, terribly wrong that wasn't right. And I just texted, wake him up immediately and, and call me back. Oh, 
Jesus. Yeah. It's crazy that they were like happy for him that he was sleeping. Yeah. Like, oh, but, he needs some rest. But it, like when you're that restless and can't sleep like that, it's like hell. And you know it's not going to get any better. And, you know, things just get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. yeah. Do they know what he was searching with the iPad? Is it like ways to like hang yourself or no, something? No, okay. that I know he didn't look anything up really? like that. He was looking up side effects of the Parkinson's medication he was taking. Uh, That's it. Okay. The 911 call had come in just before noon, August 11th, 2014, and medics were on the scene minutes later. There were no attempts to resuscitate him. There was no suicide note and no indication from his phone or text messages that he had been contemplating suicide. A toxicology report would later show that the only drugs in his system at the time of his death were an antidepressant called murderzapine. Murder what? It does sound like you're saying murderzapine, <laughs> but it, it's M-I-R-T-A zapine. Oh, M-I-R. Yeah. Okay. And here's another good one. Cinemet, Cinemet. Yeah, Cinemet probably. S-I-N-E-M-E-T. A medication that treats Parkinson's disease. Robin had folded a towel between the belt and his neck to reduce pain when he hung himself. Examiners found superficial vertical and horizontal cuts on his wrists that had a scant amount of blood. Less than three hours later, the world would find out about his death. The coroner division of the Marin County Sheriff's Office put out a news release with the headline, Investigation into the Death of Actor Robin Williams. And this clip from Conan, I think, pretty much sums up everyone's reaction that day. We got some news uh, during the show that um, that Robin Williams uh, has passed away. Uh, and by the time we air the we tape these shows a few hours early. And by the time uh, you see this now on TV, I'm sure that you'll you'll know. I I'm sorry to anyone in our studio audience uh, that, that I'm uh, breaking this news. This is absolutely uh, shocking and. And, and horrifying and so upsetting on every level. And uh, we're at the end of the show, and it just felt like we needed to just acknowledge. Uh, obviously, we don't know much yet. We know that this has happened, and um, we're absolutely uh, stunned. Will Arnett's in the seat like, uh, yeah, I, 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 mean, I don't know what to say right <laughs> Watch now. Watch the uh, Lego show, please, on uh, on Fox. And he was in RV with Robin Williams. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> That's a good uh, Will Arnett, I think. Yeah. yeah. From the movie Southie. <laughs> that night on the way to a party to celebrate his new film, The Giver, Jeff Bridges thought he saw Robin Williams in the street. So he parks the car proceeds to get out, and then he realizes that it's Radio Man coming towards him. The real Radio Man? The homeless guy who was roaming the set of the Fisher King. Wow. And he took that as a sign from Robin that things will be okay. Wow. He grabbed him, and Radio Man's like, do I fucking look like Robin, man? (laughs) (laughs) Fans were shocked. (laughs) Locations from Robin's life and career were turned into makeshift memorials. Yeah. Among the widely circulated images that were shared on social media was one of Aladdin embracing the genie with the caption, Genie, you're free. 
I was tearing up at the uh, photos of the genie that were getting passed around. But you want to tear up today? Maybe a little bit. Well, if we put on Angus, maybe that's a yeah. game changer. Um, they all released statements. Those closest to him, Susan Schneider said, This morning I lost my husband and my best friend while the world lost one of its most beloved artists and beautiful human beings. I'm utterly heartbroken. Marsha, his ex-wife, said, My heart is split open. My arms are wrapped around our children as we attempt to grapple, celebrating the man we love while dealing with this immeasurable loss. And then on August 12th, the children made their first statements. Zach said, Seek to bring joy to the world as he sought. And then Zelda said, quote, To those he touched who are sending kind words, Know that one of his favorite things in the world was to make you all laugh. As for those who are sending negativity, know that some small giggling part of him is sending a flock of pigeons to your house to poop on your car right after you've had it washed. <laughs> after all, he loved to laugh too. End quote. When Robin died, the media perpetuated this myth of the sad clown, but it was actually Louis Body Dementia. He had been misdiagnosed with Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. It leads to a decline in thinking, reasoning, and independent function. Its features may include spontaneous changes in attention and alertness, recurrent visual hallucinations, REM sleep behavior disorder, and slow movement tremors or rigidity. It's an incurable disease with an average survival rate after diagnosis of about eight years or less. It totally changes your personality. It makes you a whole different. My uncle had it. My oh, really? Na- it's yeah. My Nana, they think that she had it. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's only diagnosable after death because they have to actually look yeah. at the protein deposits on your brain. That's they knew he had it, though. Yeah. But the media at the time, they were all like, well, we all know Robin battled depression and alcoholism. Yeah. And they really made it seem like they he was didn't just even attribute it to so, the like, disease. The Sarah Michelle Galar show had crushed him so much when it was canceled that yeah. he killed himself. Yeah. Having and to deal with her. Maybe. It's like he, he had Louis body dementia. Yeah. And yeah. that's where I say. He didn't kill himself. Louis body dementia. The Louis G- did it. Louis yeah. did it. Louis, 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 Louis's body did it. And yeah. I got one more clip of his best friend, Bobcat Goldthwaite, who directed him in World's Greatest Dad, yeah. which has a suicide scene. Okay. His, his son accidentally kills himself in the movie, and people were passing that around social media as well. Wow. But this is Larry King now. You'll hear it. But Larry King asked a good question, too. Larry King actually helps him in this interview. Really? You survived? <laughs> now, you survived the plane crash, right? Is this correct? <laughs> you in front of me right now. Or am I talking to a corpse? Did you get canceled? Am I fighting ghosts? <laughs> Do you know he was troubled? <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, you know, Robin and I, I, I never spoke about it until recently, um, they all never spoke about but it. But I, I spoke with Robin almost every day or text and stuff. We we really were really close. But, you know, his and, I, you know, and I'm not a doctor, but his coroner's report oh, really? said he had Lewy body dementia, which is a form of dementia. So oh, really? I just wish my friend didn't get sick. You know, I, 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 I was witnessing this dementia and it wasn't. You know, I, it wasn't. But he, 
Was it affecting his roles? Well, he was definitely having he, no, he, Larry. He was frustrated. He was no, just his life. Remembering know, lines. Remembering lines, and you know, for someone who was so brilliant, it's like Bruce Willis so, kind so of actor. It affected yeah. everything. It is, you know. Clearly, Robin Williams was working past yeah. when he should have been, but you know. David E. Kelly and the John Levy seems like they yeah. cared about him. and Yeah. You know, the, some of these uh, stars are not as upfront about how sick they are sometimes. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, it is what it is. You got to make your money. Yeah. Yeah. There's another clip of uh, Bobcat talking about the death of uh, Robin Williams, and he was saying people were speculating on whether it was you know, drugs and alcohol, blah, blah, blah. But he was saying he's like, literally, he wasn't sleeping in bed with his wife because, like you said, he was having those like the tremors and tremors. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's like, he was upset thinking that he would hit his wife in bed. Yeah. And it was like one of the major things that contributed to him being like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Because people were throwing out crazy quotes that he said, like, you know, uh, it's. You know, you you can feel the most alone around a lot of people, or something yeah, exactly. Like that. And like and like that wasn't it at all. Or yeah. that he was the the jester that was tired of making everybody smile. Yeah, yeah. The, the, and nobody Pagliucci. nobody ever made him smile. The media yeah. tries to spin this narrative and like make it something that it's not. And you exactly, know, that's all they do. Bunch of pokes. Yeah. R.I.P. Robin Williams. Oof. Yeah. Rest in peace. Good guy. Man. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. You can check out. I people say what you will about Louis, but check out that episode with him and Robert Williams because there's so there's some good. good stuff in there. So good. Um, I would like to leave with like a legacy note of Robin Williams, but I'm gonna leave with. Uh, I think everybody should look up on YouTube. Um, someone made a bunch of clips of <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire uh, into a horror movie trailer, and it's oh, yeah. actually terrifying. <laughs> Go check that out. Not the note I expected. <laughs> yeah, you never know what you're going to get here. No, especially with me. Yeah. Do you guys see this photo? Yeah. Lean in a little. Can you hear that? Seize the day. You fucker. <laughs> we actually leaned in. Oh, my God. <laughs> Carpe diem. Make your lives extraordinary. <laughs> Right now, Alejandro is standing on his desk here of the podcast studio. So, <laughs> just a heads up. You two we're, did lean in excited. Uh, ex- yeah, we really. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know we were having a serious moment here. Yeah, right? it was a very serious moment. Yeah, and it was a non-audio gig. I know, uh, gag, <laughs> gag. Yeah, yeah and Alejandro's just like, we're, like we're just like about to wrap up and like <laughs> kind of in a sad, kind of emotional state. And Alejandro's fucking with us. Yeah, actually, I meant that seriously. Okay. That was kind of a nice tribute, I thought, to Robin Williams. Right. Him telling us to seize the day. We'll put a poll up on the Instagram. We'll let people decide. We'll let the listeners decide. In that. fact, it's rather brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, you, if you do say so yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think this is the clip that I wanted to play for this. All right, go ahead. This is going to be the last thing we're, we put up. We're on. already six hours. <laughs> yeah, we're Bob calling Austin. I'm in Austin. This is it. I don't know how much value I have in this universe, but I do know that I made a few people happier than they would have been without me. And as long as I know that, I'm as rich as I ever need to be. R.I.P. Robin Williams.
Don't go dying on us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for sticking around for part two. Or three. Or three. Or five. <laughs> <laughs> we got it all. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. So I'll catch you on the rebound, your magnitude. Until next week. Nanu. Nanu.